Bo-bing, bomb, 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 boom. Welcome back to the Bus Driver Experience Podcast. Recording this intro. We just wrapped up a great show here with Michael Hinden. Um, I was super pumped. We finally got a live in-person show. It's been a while. I'm still doing some remote shows, still doing some live shows, but thank you so much, everybody who's been tuning in. I'm glad you guys are loving the shows, whether it's climate deniers we're bringing on, um, psychonauts. Who else have we had on the show? We got college basketball legends coming on next week, porn stars. We're bringing you interesting takes and topics here on the bus, the bus driver experience. Remember, you're either on the bus or off the bus. And massive shout out to our sponsor, Ambry Gardens right here. It's probably a good sound bite right there. Good sample. Um, those are the soft gels. I got a bunch of products over here from Ambry Gardens. And I'm always skeptical about when I take any kind of supplements. Um, you know, are they just placebos? Are they actually positively impacting me and affecting me in a beneficial way? And I can say that Ambry Gardens has been amazing. It's helped me recover from injuries. I've been pushing myself hard again at the gym, running, exercising, just excited for any new physical challenges that are going to be taking on once we kind of uh, get out of our little uh, quarantine. And by pushing myself, it's been even harder to recover, but not with these products. I love the muscle recovery and the deep rub. I highly recommend them. And when you go and use promo code BUSDRIVER, you're supporting this podcast. There's my little plug and stitch on that. Thank you to Jake. Thank you everybody at Ambry Gardens. And let me jump into today's show. We got Michael Hinden. I've known Michael forever. Michael is a, another successful Daviite who's made it out of the world, who's escaped Florida, and lo and behold, we're both out here in Florida. He's a return guest on the show, and he's a human encyclopedia when it comes to things in agronomy. Agronomy? Am I saying it right? Agronomy. He's a human encyclopedia when it comes to agronomy. And that is, what's that, the study of? the study of agriculture and how it affects the economics. Um, he's consulting in the cannabis and hemp space out here. He's been growing and working over 10 years, been out here for about six years, and he is always great. And obviously our conversations always jump away from agronomy, plants, cannabis, because these are they have much bigger contexts in spaces in the rights you have as an American citizen and the rights you have around the world. And makes you want to question where and how and why we're able to do certain things that we can do. And growing cannabis is one of those things that we should be able to exercise and should be able to pursue and chase even more. So here we go. We got episode 32 with Michael Henry. No, I'm not a writer. Okay. type of other mineral you would say let's say um sodium chloride there's 300 parts per million sodium chloride Mm -hmm. so for example when you have hard or soft water usually in a in a house they would say 200 whoa whoa, whoa. what what the hell hell is hard and soft water how much mineral concentration is in your water so you asked how salty is too salty we would measure that by the hardness of the water we measure that in ec or ppm and according to health experts, hard water is around two, over 200 ppm. So if you have water over 200 ppm... We need mics. We need mics. 
they usually suggest you go through some sort of water filtration to reduce the mineral content. Whether or not it's salt specifically, you would have to analyze the minerals, but that's the baseline that we use is regular, clean, drinkable water will be under 200 ppm to be considered soft, um, usable water. Interesting. So now I know. Now we know, right? Now, a lot of people, like, what, what is your actual title? You know, I, I, think I consider you an expert on, you know, plants, uh, the knowledge of biology and understanding, you know, what goes into plants, what needs to be put into plants, you know. Would you say cannabis is like, like actually, you know, your focus or your specific area or does that like kind of translate over to all vegetation? I would say that I am a business consultant who specializes in agronomy, um, business planning in the areas of cannabis and hemp, as well as understanding possible interactions between the way business affects legally um, regulated markets like cannabis and how that intersects with agronomy. Um, what is uh, agronomy? Agronomy is the study of agriculture and how it relates to the economics of agriculture. So basically how we study how to grow. One of the oldest industries. I would say the original industry is agronomy. Yeah. And one of the big, big reasons why uh, U.S., I would say, um, the U.S. economy is become a little unstable is because we don't invest in what is really one of our biggest assets, which is advanced, high-quality agronomy. Um, but, yeah, I would say agronomy and how it relates to um, the business world specialization, specializing in cannabis and hemp. Why is the U.S. Uh, not investing in our agronomy? What's going on with that? I know, I know the trade war is like a big thing, and that's been a, a massive thing, you know, the trade war between the U.S. and China and how we've been spending our money or, you know, the tariffs we're putting on different imports and exports. And a lot of that stuff is, you know, raw materials or even agricultural products, you know, soybeans being a massive, uh, corn being another massive thing that, you know, we probably produce that we export out there. So what is it that we're not doing? So it's interesting because we have some of the biggest investments in agriculture, but in my opinion, uh, a misprioritization of how to invest. For example, um, instead of subsidies, if we were investing in diversification of crops, um, education and application of the high, um, the highly developed and very well researched organic alternatives, we would be able to take um, a lot of what I consider to be our downsides and, and change that investment. Instead of creating safety nets for subsidized crops grown synthetically, if we were able to create investment and motivation for, for farmers to diversify crops, um, one, two, implement organic regenerative techniques, um, we'd be able to use the same money we're already using to invest in the agriculture space, but use it to invest in the processes and infrastructure that will allow us to evolve our agronomy in general and our agricultural sector so that it can be a leader again instead of um, just another bulk producer. And I think that's the, it's, it's that thing that I hate the most, which is unequal comparisons. If, if we're different, you need to embrace the difference. Mm -hmm. And we have higher cost labor, which forces us into specialized versions of economies. We should be embracing that. And uh, I think in agriculture, us not doing that is the main reason why we have the most socialist 
president in the history of mankind, Donald Trump has socialized more agricultural products than any president before him. So it's, it's very interesting to see even a Republican president has to use socialist economic policy to save the most advanced um, sector of agronomy that we've ever developed. Um, and, you know, I find it to be simply because instead of investing in adaptation and evolution, we invest in an economic safety net. Um, and more times than not, that happens from, from both sides of the political spectrum. I mean, how did it get that way? I mean, because actually, I think this is a systemic problem that goes across all of, you know, most of, uh, you know, big business and big government at the same time is like the, the worst problem ever. And like, as we've seen, like industries have been able to collapse all of the other smaller industries that existed. You know, we see that with farming. I know we're experiencing that one right now with with meat and all these meat shortages we're having. And it's like not only would the things not be uh, would we these things wouldn't be cesspools for coronavirus, but they would not be like, first of all, meat wouldn't cost that cheap and meat shouldn't cost that cheap. And actually, I think we talked about this before, you know, we've sold out the American people in our country to buy cheaper shit and cheaper quality product from the food we eat to, to the police we hire, to the, poli to the police we hire, to the plastic, you know, the plastic shitty products that we're told to buy on Amazon that are supposed to really fulfill us in life. And it's like, is that all it is? That's supposed to be worth saving someone else a buck or saving them millions to save us a few dollars like that's like the payoff like and that's what we're told is life that's what we're supposed to be okay so, with so i think it just kind of highlights the the flaw in pure capitalism um oh shit we've already taken it away from agronomy and into well i i think in my opinion pure capitalism and and, and agronomy is a science um and in my opinion the two things that make uh, america strong are innovation and science Innovation in, in art. Um, and pretty much, you have to hit record? I'm going to make sure recording the camera, too. Keep going, keep going. All right. Um, so pretty much when we innovate in our art, when we innovate in our science, we end up able to differentiate. Um, and, and the difference becomes is the most profitable model isn't always innovation. Um, more times than not, it's creating efficiency. Mm -hmm. um, and interesting enough, if you do that while creating security by basically using the massive amount of wealth that you and your business partners are able to accumulate, you create this network of this company pays for my other company. And just by moving inventory throughout your network of businesses, you're able to create lending options, accessibility to funds, accessibility to continue to grow and increase your footprint in markets without ever having to innovate just because you have more money. Um, I think this, this unfair competitive advantage is one of the big reasons why you see big companies not only dominate product areas but stagnate over time and this combination really negatively affects uh, necessary and what I would call required services like mm -hmm. food, like education itself, like healthcare, like policing. Um, that instead, if you make the government investment to innovate and, and, and progress these areas, you can allow the private sector to have to do better than that. 
Um, and, and I'm not saying you do it in every sector, but in sectors that most of us would consider human needs, um, health, education, um, and things like accessibility to food, um, we would be able to not only keep a higher quality of living, a higher standard, you're also incentivizing innovation at the same time. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to get your take on it because you work on this in cannabis. And cannabis is one of those n new markets that's become legal. And so, you know, we see this in what, like, is it almost like 38 or 40 states have, like, medicinal laws now. Um, and then, you know, about 8 or 10, I'd say, have completely legalized or we're not that far yet? No. To be honest, I think we're over 20 states in full rec, maybe even more. Really? So it's it's becoming inevitable. Good job, everybody. It's massive. Yeah, I, I would say legalization is a for sure thing at this point. I think... Uh, the farm bill legalizing hemp solidifies that. The species of cannabis is legal. Um, now they're uh, differentiating on uh, oppressing a certain species, the THC species. Um, and in my opinion... What do you mean oppressing? Who's oppressing? Um, I think the government unknowingly um, has deselected legalization of THC federally uh, because of its psychoactive properties. Um, without knowing that um, it's actually the more medicinal active ingredient and allows CBD to do what it's supposed to do even more efficiently and effectively. Um, so really they're discriminating based on psychoactivity, which is, you know, they're right in their which job. Which is always the case. I mean, they're always going to discriminate. It, it's, it, an expected, right. it's an expected oppression. And rightfully so. I mean, I taught, um, you know, another psychonaut and a guy who, you know, is really into the... Uh, you know, the personal rights of psychoactive substances, and I definitely consider cannabis to be a psychoactive substance. 100%. Because, of, uh, and I don't, think, I don't think people realize, you know, that, you know, it gives you that certain level of self-reflection that you can't, not you can't, but that it, you know, through meditation and mindfulness, it's really hard. These these drugs or, or you know, these, sub, these plants, you know, or substances, they let you get to those states of, you know, awareness quicker, faster, and harder, like, punch in the mouth harder sometimes yeah. that you experience things. So that's, I think, one of the great and beautiful things about it. Um, and also, I think, you know, from the other cannabis doctors I've had on the show, you know, like you mentioned right there, you're limiting the the THC psychoactive part of the plant, you know, and, you're, and people are, are using CBD, but, you know, they're still not getting the full benefits of CBD because CBD is going to work better when you have the full spectrum, when you're getting THC, terpenes, and... Um, the CBD itself in there. When you're getting the whole plant right there, you're going to receive even higher benefits of whatever. You've cannabis. come a long way since our first interview, I don't Brandon. think you've listened to the guy, Dr. Uh, what's his name? He's a Florida doctor, a cannabis doctor. He's been doing okay. cannabis uh, medicine, okay. writing prescriptions for people. Yeah. Um, I must have missed this one. Michael, Mike McKenzie. Okay. Character. Yeah. Character, but he's fantastic, and he really works on the legality of um, just cannabis, you know, across the country. Yeah. You know, advocating for it and whatnot. Um, definitely got to look into, and he's uh, besides you, one that really advocated and nailed that point home for me. You know, like even though we got these CBD on the table, um, you know, it, it's still there's certain small dosages of, of THC because it's from Colorado yeah. that they can provide or even sell across state lines. Yeah, I believe it's less than 0.3% THC is yeah. is the hemp legality. Yeah, and I, it's always interesting people ask, you know, do you smoke? And I would say I don't smoke enough. Like I could, I probably need to smoke more more cannabis. And yeah, <laughs> and, I definitely smoke too much. That's for sure. And to have, you know, those, you know, better experiences at the end of the day. But back to, um, you know, we're talking about regulation and uh, THC 
and cannabis itself really coming and emerging into the market. Um, how is the accessibility coming in? I think because last time we spoke, um, you know, New York State was really pushing for, because they were really uh, coming into the legality or bringing um, cannabis into the recreational space, we'll say. And, you know, what we're, we're experiencing now is that because this has been preventative by the government the entire, for hundreds of years, 100 years almost, that regular people or low-income people have no availability to get into this market. It's really from hard. From a business side, from for sure. From a business standpoint, yeah. it's hard yeah. to break in. Yeah, I was going to say, accessibility is probably, from a consumer side, the best it's ever been. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, well, well... Hassan Minaj did that great piece you guys put me on to. Yeah. You know, really identifying, you know, and pointing out, like, John Boehner, of all people... It's a perfect example. You of, know, owns of, a massive stocks and equity in different cannabis companies. Yeah. And, and you know, he put more people in jail for cannabis related crimes than probably any other congressman really in the history. He did for sure. He was the leader of the of the Republican Party um, during years in which they continued to enforce uh, federal uh, crimes as well as the DEA. It was still when the DEA was enforcing it upon states. Um, I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, due to the population size alone, he was, uh, during this time, we were arresting the most people for cannabis per year. Um, and he was the, the leader of the Republican Party. So if he's not individually and factually the most responsible, I would say he's got to make the top 10 um, for most influential as far as putting people in jail for cannabis. And when asked about this, he said, this was a different time. So he literally didn't deny this. He just said that, you know, uh, things change and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm different now. So uh, yeah. it's interesting to see when uh, uh, the individuals who were in it from a factual standpoint and those in it from opportunistic standpoint. And from my understanding, New York delayed their legalization because there um, was no accessibility. There wasn't enough accessibility and they thought the legislation they had wouldn't be enough. Um I'm a firm believer that that's not the case. Um, or I agree with what they said. I think that in most states, business accessibility to licensing is zero. I think my home state, Florida, is the perfect example of this. One of the most fixed licensing Shout states. Shout out Florida. I mean, it's it's kind of next level. The, proud Floridians. The, the proud Floridians. The level of corruption is pretty high. Oh, um, that's what we're known for. I love Billy Corbin, the tweets he puts out. Yeah. Where he's like, oh. Only Florida, another representative in Miami-Dade County, <laughs> just charged with extorting or laundering money from people or businesses. And it's just, uh, people don't realize, I think Rogan puts it all the time, is that all the criminals from the Northeast or, you know, anywhere else in the country, they, just they, made, go. they made their way down from the 50s and 60s. And, and we still, Florida, for me at least, it's like the wild, wild west. The things you can get away with in the city of Miami in terms of like, how long you can go out and party, the things you can get, the things you can do, and really pushing and teetering the line of legality, Florida is your place. People, fuck Vegas. If you want to go, if you really want to push it, head to Miami-Dade County. Yeah, and, you, and you'll still be able to get local cuisine for less than $10 a plate. That's right. Remember, it's <laughs> live on Sundays, king of diamond Mondays. Don't forget it. Uh, still the Miami slogan. I don't know if anybody's still doing that trick. <laughs> um... But Drake is. I didn't think even he's given that one up. But <laughs> but yeah, I would say that that's really the biggest issue right now in cannabis is uh, 
business representation throughout. Uh, I would just say it, it needs to reflect the population of, of areas. And California is the best example. It does not reflect the population whatsoever. And I would say even more so, um, it's going to be harder and harder with um, the amount of time they've given big money uh, as a head start to ever equalize it. Um, it's almost to the point where work uh, getting the corporate side of cannabis to mature to where they understand the real industry is is more likely than to even the playing field and and, and try again. Well, I, I think that, I think this this train has left the station to be honest. Well, I mean California. I know we talked about this last time because Prop 64 had passed. Mm -hmm. And we also tried to do a bunch of black market shoots. We have the content. We still got to put that together. Yeah. Some really cool, interesting stuff um, with some, uh, what they would be called illegal growers. But no, no, no. Technically, they're medical growers. Medical growers. Who that... possibly might be, we don't know for sure, over their plant count. Okay. So, so as but... far as we're concerned, they're medical patients. Who are growing their legal amount of plants? Well, we don't know them, or we might know them, but uh, I didn't see any faces. There were no faces exposed. No faces on this on the program, so I didn't see any faces nope. either. No faces. But I would say that, in my opinion, the two biggest issues that relate to the individual is I think that people should push for their right to cultivate a decent amount of plants at home. I think that should be everybody's right as a human being. I'm doing that now. Um, and, and, and I think more states should allow, like Florida, for example, I don't believe allows a, uh, any individual to grow plants. But I think everybody should be able to grow a personal amount of plants. My definition of a personal amount of plants is like is the traditional California rule, which was 99. Um, they've brought that down to six. That's a lot. Um, I would say, but now that you've played with plants, having a bunch of copies and things of the things you like best is really where this rule in my opinion, short-sighted. If you had six things you liked, you could never grow any more cannabis ever. And technically, as soon as you cut a clone to keep a copy of the things you like, you're over plant count. Mm -hmm. So you, you can't, you could keep three things and have a backup of three things and flower three plants at a time. I mean, it becomes something to where, uh, is there anything else they manage how much of something you can have that's recreationally legal? It does you can buy a million beers you can you know i mean it, it's just one of these things that the planting system there's never been anything that is this legal and this preventative of doing for an individual well it also thinks like that's a policy thing like in some backroom deal between two politicians we say okay what number are you okay with that we can grow or can't it's grow? It's not even back room. Most of it's done in a local business, uh, local town council meeting. Of course, of course, of course. But I'm saying like there is no probably actual number or factual basis oh, yeah. in choosing that number. It was like, what number are you okay with? For ten your, for, sounds like a lot for your conservative constituent. Yeah. Ninety-nine. It's not triple digits. We'll take it. So that's where it started, and then they said, "Whoa, whoa, ninety-nine. These guys can make money off ninety-nine. Must got to be less than that. So ten sounds like a lot. How about mm -hmm. less than ten? I mean, realistically, it's something that is a is a a not fact based number. It's something they kind of pulled out of thin air. But uh, what is going on in California? Because I know we're we're talking about Prop sixty four right now and everything that happened, and we kind of went out and seen you know what these uh, medical slash medical non medical growers are pushing or working on, you know, and teetering on the number where they kind of are hitting the range where they're not hitting the range. And I know you had mentioned last time that a lot of the money 
and our tax dollars for this prop are going towards um, enforcement. Enforcement. Of so it's interesting. The Since that time, I would say what was happening was enforcement was on the rise. The legal market was holding a decent price point. Um, the underground market was tanking. Um, as more and more people were running into danger, they were uh, pull your mic. They were they, the growers were kind of uh, looking to move their material fast. Um, what's happened since then? It's very interesting. Is the more they enforce, the higher the price of black market goes, and the more incentivized getting back involved is. So instead of kind of letting everybody lowball themselves into obliteration by thinning out the market. Cannabis is up 100% on the black market right now. Mm -hmm. So a year ago, what was going for $2,000 is going for $4,000. Yeah, that meme, that gif with uh, John Travolta and um, Jamie Lee Curtis in that movie. Yeah. Just an aerobics class, just strutting their... Uh, Shout out to the, my buddy who made that, Always Running Dank. I'm I'll, surprised you saw that. What do you mean? That was the funniest thing. I've been sharing that all over the internet. Shout out to that guy. It was, what's his name? Oh, at Always Running Dank. Always Running Dank. What a legend. What a good guy. Yeah. And but yeah, a perfect it, example. It's so, of, it's so oh. prohibition. Like, you know, like in terms of like the same things are happening that happened during prohibition. And even though we're pushing this legality, enforcing, you know, to protect bigger business on enforcement to protect their dollars. It's again, it's only hurting the smaller people and it's actually jacking up, like always, the black market uh, prices. So it, it's very interesting to me to see how now enforcement for a very short term period kind of really, really hurt the black market. And, but what I'm seeing is the, the reaction to that, the long term effects are going to be the more they do that, the, the higher price points the people who stay in are going to get. So um, what we're seeing in cannabis is a, is a flourishing of the underground markets. Um, legal entities that were really disrupted by coronavirus are really hurting. There's lots of legal entities going under. I would say that the couple of brands that have direct-to-consumer businesses were able to do okay. Some that were really focused direct-to-consumer were able to accelerate sales throughout the period. But realistically, I see a, 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 another big shift in the industry as all businesses in America deal with the fallout of coronavirus. Um, but realistically, it's something that the black market's going to see a little bit of a, a run in 2020, um, because the legal market isn't prepared to make up for the difference in lack of production compared to last year. Yeah. I mean, I, we've, we saw, we're, we're, we're learning a lot of the slip up seeing, you know, state and even federal governments dealing with this. I think Canada had a massive, massive problem once they went legal in terms of what they were going to tax certain growers. And again, it was hindering the accessibility in the marketplace where, you know, where is the legal grower going to make his money if a certain percentage is going towards enforcement and the tax dollars to um, enforce that thing? Oregon just, you know, said, hey, anybody can grow. See, there's the opposite problem, though. Yeah. Oregon ruined their market <laughs> by making the bar too low. So it's something that when you look at markets like New York, markets like Florida, markets like California the three biggest weed markets in the country. Florida, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Floridians buy and sell more weed than uh, than you could ever measure, one, because it's not on the books yet, but two, um, because a lot of it goes out into the Caribbean. So the whole really? Caribbean is fed from America. Oh, yes. A lot of people don't realize this. 
But you go on vacation on a cruise and you go find the guy selling weed, he's selling Cali weed. I remember in Aruba, they would always try and sell it. They got Cali weed in Aruba. When me and oh, your yeah, sister yeah. went, they were no, oh, this I is. found Cali weed. It is Cali indoor weed. I love that people I try and market you. it, though, because it's a Dutch island, a former Dutch colony. They're yeah. like, oh, it's Amsterdam, hydroponic. No, nah, they're done with that. When I was there, what was it, a year ago? Oh, we, we, we've completely added Amsterdam. Oh, it's no longer relevant, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and even, like I said, throughout the island, so so Florida's kind of the hub for that. And uh, Really? Yeah. Yeah. Tell, tell me more about this. How and how long has that been going? Um, that's all I'm gonna say on that. No. Yeah. No. It just is. You're gonna have to take my word it for it. It just is. This guy's holding out on us. It just is. You just gotta understand that it gets out to the islands by way of California through Florida. Okay. So it just happens. What I would say so is things like cocaine with Colombia. It's just and one of those Peru, things that geographically Bolivia. there's always a jump off point. So I know a bunch of people in New York who send things to Europe. Um, you can even do that out of Florida and California, but going through high traffic points is the best way to do it. Um, and to do it, um, where you also have a local travel route is even more beneficial. So if you're geographically located near something, um, you're going to do really well. Um, that's like a lot of the cheap weed in California comes from Mexico. A lot of people don't realize that, that, really? they, that people will actually get it across the border just because, uh, you make a lot more money with your cheap weed across the border than you would in Mexico. So most of the cheap weed in California is Mexican. Most of the cheap weed everywhere else is cheap California. And everybody's expensive weed is expensive California. So Even what, in England. People buy California weed in England. Oh, I bet. And it's like Cali packs are like a thing. <laughs> so like, like yeah, like it's, it's something that... Um, which is one reason why I think the California market will continue to do well. Um, and eventually when it goes federal, will be one of the few places actually getting international um, kind of distribution. Oh, we're going to be crushing it. I mean, people, I mean, again, you know, they think it's a blue state. It's California. It's the fifth largest market in the world. Like the amount of traffic, not even cannabis, that comes through this state and the enterprises and the business they have. Like, oh, businesses are leaving. I'm like, last thing I checked, Silicon Valley. Is still in California. Last time I checked, everybody lives here. One, <laughs> so it's it's its own country. Fifty-five million, right? Its own country. Two, it's its own country that has a massively higher um, quality of living. But what that really means is dollars to spend. So it has an average consumer who spends more who is looking for consumable products more. So you can drive, it goes back to this whole, how do you drive innovation? You can drive innovation in this market because there's so much um, white space to still take over in every industry. It's why California births all your favorite brands. It, it births all your favorite technology. It births things based in art and innovation, which is really, like I personally think, that some of our other sectors could kind of take a cue from and become their own center of innovation. Like um, I'll give you a great example of somebody doing this. Look at what Disney did in Central Florida for theme parks when they innovated. This is American innovation. It's great. They went around. They bought all this acreage and acreage of nonsense land. And they, they, they created a productive billion-dollar company off of theme parks. Before then, it was circuses. It was 
a bunch of uh, ro- wooden roller coasters and Ferris wheels and the vision, the art. The St. David's uh, Church Fair. These Carnival. types of things, these carnivals. <laughs> this was what was in its place before Shout Disney. Shout out to St. David's Church. So, so Disney goes out and they, and they have the vision, forward-thinking, artistic minds to incorporate innovation and art into an industry that's been around the world for thousands of years, you know, this, 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 uh, games for the average human being. This is kind of what this is. Gladiatorial times. They had these, Mm -hmm. this is, this is just the latest iteration of this. But by doing that, you take something that is a good business and turn it into one of the biggest entertainment enterprises in ever to be developed. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that park was the center of that. I mean, they have all this content around it, but, the American infrastructure that is Disney World, that is as big as a city. Um, and when you compare it to Disneyland in L.A., it seems like a kid's park. Um, and as kid's park, I mean kitty size. Yeah. Um, compared to Disney World, where the castle is truly the size of a castle. Um, you can go inside and eat in it. You can stay in there for 20000 a night. Really? They only do it like very rarely. You can get married in the castle there. Oh, yeah, they got this place. It's another level, but the the amount of innovation, investment, and. I actually know a chick who's getting married there recently, like. Yeah. Post corona, yeah. So, from my understanding, in certain occasions, they'll also let you rent it for a night. Like, you can stay there. Um, I think if you get your wedding there, that's part of those occasions. That's one of but, those you better not get divorced right there. You're spending money on a wedding at <laughs> Disney. I'd be yelling at this chick. Yo, you want this? We ain't going back. I don't even know oh, if man. I could execute on that. I don't have the stomach or the spending. Just oh, I'm I have sure a lot of gusto to... to go green on things, but ooh, a Disney wedding? Whoa, a Disney wedding in the real castle. But pretty much that type of like, what are you? What value are you bringing to me to get this Disney wedding? Well, it's hope, a value exchange. Ho- ho- hopefully that uh, you guys are, are are the most value you've ever found in another human being. That's the idea, right? <laughs> So, there better be a lot of value in that. I think you'll find Even somewhere. if she'd paid, I don't think I could go to this. We can't spend the money on this, even if you're cash. But I couldn't go. to create something that is so next level. Of course, back to the topic of right? Disney ingenuity. So or- this ingenuity, this forward thinking, I think you've seen it in streetwear is a great example. And what you see when the Japanese kind of stole streetwear from America. Um, well, I think they steal everything in Japan. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I think they are so good at taking different, you know, what do you want to say, markets or industries or even like what they do so well is um, adapt art, art, and make their own, though. Artisan designs of shit. Yeah, like yeah. Like coffee or just like metalware. Even beef. They do it to everything. And yeah. this type of innovation. I love that culture, man. And, and, they, and they bet on themselves. First they bet on gotta, their skill set. First place we got to go. Oh, 100%. Ready my, for a $200 round trip ticket to Tokyo? Oh, let me know. Brianna, we're going to Tokyo. Oh, the, where's the camera? We're yeah, going to Tokyo. The, so They're probably running that cheap right now, dude. Mm, wait a little longer. I mean, I get four, I've get i got a $400 round trip ticket to Tokyo before, but right now you can probably get that. I don't see 200 but maybe 400 And I'll tell you what. Let me this do the shopping of, on that. Disney wedding style. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you buy it, I'll go. Um, I'm not buying it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to point you in the direction okay. of the deal. But, yeah, I would say that, that if we can take – a little bit of the things that made America different, which were innovating and artistic addition to innovation 
in an American style because I think that that Japanese style is its own, and that's why when when the entire world saw what the the Japanese did with streetwear, everybody did their own version. And personally, I connect with a lot of the American versions the most. Um, and you're starting to see. I'll give you a perfect example. There's this another example. There's this gentleman who was homeless in Las Vegas and he ended up creating a resale store. So he would buy your Supreme and resale it. He had his little resale store, got so big, he ended up moving into a store right off the place where he used to panhandle. Recently, he <laughs> just he just Amazing. signed a multi-million dollar contract with Aber uh, American Apparel in New York and they're starting their own resale business. So American Apparel, who does not have accounts with any high-end designer and could never get them, that is, is Gary, now reselling. That is, that is Gary V written all over right and, and so, so they're... Their foresight and in, in innovation to understand that this, the way that things are sold in a designer market are different, and his innovation of making a high-end experience um, for limited edition designer things created this new business opportunity to where American Apparel is now in this in this space of business they never could have been before, and they're doing it for the least amount of risk and overhead and cost by partnering with somebody who used this this streetwear art style of designer clothes and matched it with pawn shop style reselling. Mm -hmm. We'll buy and sell. So you can go there, you can sell your clothes there. And then they'll they'll sell you some stuff too. So it's kinda wild. You see a great example of that is uh round two out here in LA. Sean Witherspoon did the same thing. Is that the kid whose business got destroyed? Yeah. Yeah. And Verge made a fool of himself uh trying to defend it. But outside of that Oh, Virgil Abloh, this is what started the whole thing. But, uh, the $50 donation thing? So it started with... Who is this guy? Give us a backstory first. Cause I, I've Virgil Abloh? I've only vaguely heard who so, he is. Okay, so a, a, a huge innovator, an artist who was with Stussy. He started doing DJing. You know what's hilarious is I think what you're do you and your friends are doing with DJ most resembles what him and his friends were doing with DJing. Mm -hmm. Him and a couple other guys. My who, set's right after this, so if you're watching so this, stay I'm tuned. Right, stay in, tuned. right into a DJ set, two, three hours. But basically what he was doing was is he was designing with Kanye, him and a couple other artists that helped with the, the, the Yeezy launch. So obviously very talented people beforehand. Um, started mixing into these Stussy parties where he would DJ kind of developed into the, the hottest brand, and he created Off-White um, with the quotations. Everything you see with the quotations is his. So when you see, like, something that has two quotations and, like, an arrow or something, uh -huh. that's his style. Uh -huh. With that style, Louis Vuitton made him the director of fashion and design. Um, so he became the first... Um, if I'm in, Somebody correct me if I'm mistaken, but he became the first... Um, black American leader of a fashion house, a classic Italian fashion house. Um, and recently, during this transition, a lot of African-American streetwear, especially uh, artists, are getting embraced and finally given the recognition that individuals like Dapper Dan, who is the guy who made all the Gucci jackets for Jay-Z and all these guys back in the day, he got sued by Fendi. And nobody would sell him cloth back in the day. So all those Gucci jackets were made from like bags and stuff. He would disassemble because nobody would sell him cloth. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting to see how as artists are blended with big companies to create innovation like Yeezy Project. And then he took it a step further with Off-White and then took it a step further with what he's doing with Louis Vuitton. This artist combination with in Yeezy's case it was technology and lifestyle in the Louis Vuitton case it's it's a unique perspective combined with high fashion but this combination of innovation and artistry um, takes something like an off-white bag 
And I don't know if you've seen some of the Nikes he's done, but it no. takes a hundred dollar Nike and it resells for a thousand dollars now. Two hundred dollar Jordan and they're reselling for a thousand dollars now. But it creates this added value and it it goes right back to the only real added value is sometimes it's an innovation in function and form, but more times than not, it's an innovation in feeling. How does this make you feel in addition to what does it do for you? Mm -hmm. So when you get that off-white t-shirt and you get his little four arrows and you watch it sell out and then you go on StockX in two weeks and that $80 t-shirt selling for $400, this added value of exclusivity of maybe it's actually really cool design as well. So you get this pleasurable artistic feeling. Um, getting that feel-good factor back into American economies is mm. the difference. Why do people love their iPhone? Art. This is a better-looking phone than all the other things for a long time. Yeah. It's software. is better-looking. The innovation was originally. It's been surviving off of software and artistic uh, kind of presentation for, I would say, a decade, and mm -hmm. it's still the leader in phones. Um, this is, in my opinion, American innovation and art artistry. All the successful American companies embrace this. Um, the big giants do it while becoming more efficient as well. Um, and that becomes the whole balance. Why I like using Apple as an example of somebody who... In the beginning was what I consider an ideal player in an industry and has transitioned more into a classic player in the industry using leverage deals and their size to, to own the market space. And that's why you've seen innovation lack in their product line for a long time. Um, but because they're so big, they, they're going to own the space for the foreseeable future until somebody can break through either with technology or DMT. Well, just a good breakthrough. I, so in, unless you can connect with the breakthrough people are making, <laughs> so I think that. So what what do you kind of touch on is no no I'm just taking a a, a drug no, terminology. But, but what I would say is is that breakthrough that people talk about in drug terminology where you talk to any drug whether it even be weed I had this breakthrough I had this moment of reflection I wouldn't have had otherwise. Mm -hmm. It's usually a shift in perspective or approach, and that can be chemically that it gives you the opportunity to see something you wouldn't have saw before. And the perfect example of this is if I gave you a cylinder and I put it in front of you, right? And all you saw was the side view and you drew it, it's, it's a rectangle. And then all I gave you was the top view and I gave you a picture. You say, that thing's a circle. And then I give you both pictures. It's neither a rectangle nor a circle, it's a cylinder. You just didn't have the three-dimensional perspective to see it. Mm -hmm. and, and this type of third-dimensional look is usually where I personally find interesting edges. And whether it be agronomy, whether it be design, whether it be uh, the way that we sell the products. Um, and that's where I really think that um, finding a way to quantify energy if you can. And if you can't to quantify the differences and what possibly could generate energy. Like BDE, bus driver energy. Yeah. So in, individual show. representatives are a perfect form of this and why certain collabs and um, what do they call them? Brand ambassadors work perfectly. Mm -hmm. um, if that person is synergistically magnifying the energy that this product artistically and technologically produces then it amplifies the message mm -hmm. if it's inauthentic if it's antagonistic well i think that's what the big 
what the what people who are projecting stuff into the market don't realize they lack not that they lack but they underestimate the consumer is like sniff test or their taste test that like no 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 sophistication we of the consumer and their ability to differentiate they don't think they can they're like no people especially i mean you know working in content creation people are striving so much for authenticity if you went up there and said i'm a former drug addict people and now i've done this and i've done, people are like oh my god like this person was had the balls to open up and say the things about their past that aren't their best things about them and able to exemplify those in a way that you or i no matter how low or how far you've come you can make it and get success in that people eat that shit up they they are just craving that and you know again people and again, and rightfully so. I mean, these are investors and business, and they want to protect, you know, what they're going to do and what's the safe option, the easy option. But there's just so many amazing stories and so many amazing things that they can still go after. And the consumer wants that. Yeah. And the consumer is just, you know, dying for it. You know, Kylie Jenner with Pepsi going to a protest, you know, saying that we're all one. Like, it flops because no one is buying that yeah. shit. Exactly. It's a perfect example. And then even more so when the messaging itself is 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 so inauthentic that it, it looks laughable, the entire scene, the way it played out, mm. like everything about that advertisement, it was a miss yeah. um, other than here's a popular person we're going to put into it. Um, and I think that's really uh, what you're seeing in a lot of markets is one, consumers understanding the difference, but two, um, a lot of industry not willing to to innovate, whether artistically or in their quality of product, mm-hmm. um, enough to to separate themselves. So what you have is just like in the cannabis industry, a wholesale focused industry that is all about providing enough movement in sales so that your investors are happy. Nobody's actually making money in legal cannabis right now. Nobody is actually building a brand built on a solid foundation. It's a big statement right there. I mean, I have people messaging me all the time, what cannabis stock should I invest in? Cannabis has got to be on the move. Canadian cannabis stock. My first question I ask everybody, what stock have you seen when you got the earnings report that made money? Okay, didn't make money because they made all this expansion. Let's take out the expansion. What was their operating cost? What was their EBITDA? Like how much money they make after like operations and things mm-hmm. um, before we talk about, you know, let's say uh, real estate investment and infrastructure. Um, nobody, nobody publicly traded is net, net, net positive. No one. Not a single company. You cannot buy a public stock that is net positive. One, two, you cannot buy an, a public stock that is producing in an area that will actually produce cannabis in the future. If you're growing in California, you're not going to be a mass producer. You can't keep up with Mexico. You can't keep up with Brazil. You can't keep up with Colombia. And when it's federally regulated, you're going to be able to import thousands of pounds of Colombian for cheaper than you could ever produce in the U.S. But how does that go against California being this hub and mecca for... So you can't invest in California companies right now. You can only invest... That would be the best secondary option. You can only invest in a Canadian company. Really? Can't, can't invest in American cannabis. It's not a fit. So where are they getting their money from? Canada. So Canada has federally legal weed. This is different. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So because they have federally legal weed, they can export and import. You can invest because the banks are backed by the government. You can't invest in an American company here. It won't let you. It's not federally regulated. 
So you cannot invest in American cannabis right now. It's not possible. You can invest in Canadian companies, some of which have moved into American cannabis, which is a really interesting gray area. But you cannot invest into an American producing company. And you tell me what economic, uh, what agricultural good or what um, consumable good that you would want to invest in that's produced out of Canada. Has Mexico legalized? Because I know they were in the process of going about legalizing all their, most of their uh you know, illegal substances. I thought that was just Mexico City. It was just Mexico City? I think okay. that was just Mexico City. But related to cannabis... I had heard that, you know, they were in the process of doing that. I didn't know it was just Mexico City. Yeah, but I think that was pack- like a gang-related thing. Um, but the, yeah, but that's medical got, that's cannabis... That's subject going after fucking drug lords and saying, hey, all our shit's legal. Well, it's interesting because they're, they're really like... it's what's So they're playing the opposite at canna- cannabis laws playing. We're going to make it really hard to get licensing and, and you're all illegal even in legal cannabis, they're like, no, we'll legalize everything and we'll, we'll make you flood yourself. Like they know, like it's, in my opinion, it's genius. Because if you legalize the production of cannabis in California, all the small investors will will ruin themselves because they can't keep up with the prices that big business will be able to go to. Mm-hmm. So if you make the operating costs very low, you'll actually flood out the small farmer. But by keeping it high, you at least give them a chance. Um, which is interesting, but the barrier to get in is a little too high for them to get in. So they set the fence at the perfect height right now, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Um, but yeah, going back to the whole, do you produce cannabis in Canada? Are you going to buy any, is there a specialty item that's specially produced in Canada that appeals to you? No. Maple syrup. I buy my maple syrup from an organic farm on the northeast of the I United know. States of I'm, America. I'm being nice to Canadians. I'm but I would say almost that... nothing but Drake music. That's it. <laughs> That's the only thing Americans buy out of Canada. Drake and Justin Bieber You're music. You're lucky they're real nice. And you can't invest lucky in lucky Canadians that. are nice. But you can't invest in that. And in my opinion, what is, what's even worse is that the second you can get American products into Canada, they're going to flood their, their market, and it'll only be American products for high end, and it'll be Mexican products for the low end. And all these Canadian companies with their high like American price of, of production are going to get decimated by an authentically cannabis or an authentically produced brand from you know uh, a heritage area that's been growing cannabis like california with the california culture of coolness if you're a cool kid in canada you're not going to want canadian weed you're going to want the american weed that's branded correctly so realistically in my opinion you're going to see around the world two categories of cannabis available cannabis that's cheap packaged decent and at the right price point and you'll see designer and there will be nothing in between. I don't think that Americans realize that enough. And if they wanted to market, you know, American products, cannabis is going to be massive. Like, you know, we've done that with, you know, music and other, you know, pop cultural things. like Everything uh, related to art. Exported around the world and, you know, actually getting to travel and live outside the world. Like, my favorite story is like this 13-year-old girl um, in Kuwait I was coaching. You know, the, which she had a hijab on. So it was this, but she playing full basketball on it. A jersey over that, you know, it's yeah. it's just a, such a sight to see. But she's like, Coach Brand, do you know about Coachella and this and that? And she's like, before the class started, like, I got my phone up and watching the live stream. I'm like, yeah, you know, I have, I have probably a hundred friends there. Yeah, and say a you know, hundred friends, they're probably tripping their balls off. But you know, I got a hundred yeah. friends there and experiencing that. Just, oh my god, that's so cool. And it's just something that nobody here would ever expect or see, you know, from. To realize that that's still a thirteen-year-old teenager in another part of the world. It's not just people a person. underestimate American privilege. We have access to so much 
fun money. Sports. You know how much money we invest in youth sports? Well, just events, too. Like, the, like events. you said, with like the carnival being the one thing that's been something in society You know what's crazy is you referenced your local church's carnival, which is bigger than probably anything they do in Kuwait as far as uh, uh, theme parks. I mean, I bungee jumped on the beach. So. They, they have theme parks in Kuwait? Well, you were there for years. You no. ever saw a single theme park? No. Dubai. Nope. Dubai, yes. But I'm saying this is okay. Like Dubai is one of these very rare world destinations yeah. now. It's a multi-billion. Well, UAE place. in general, because you go to Abu Dhabi. And but I would Dubai. say Kuwait is more realistically an average world country where it has it has progressive world, first world, one of the highest currency values in the world. But it's not a place where it has the art scene that a place like let's say Italy or the U.S. would have. Yeah, that's due to the culture and the religion. For sure. And... So, so like our our culture gives us a privilege of freedom, yeah. of choice, of experience that. Most places in the world either don't have the money. Well, people don't even realize it's the Constitution. Like, just your right to assemble free, freely, like, open right to assemble and protest. Like, there's no other country in the world where it's on the record to say, you can do this here. The fact that you can do this here, I want anybody to go out. And imagine it's so protected. The last time we used our National Guard was to protect protesters. This is the first time in decades we've ever used them to um, police protesters. So it, constitutionally, historically, you would be very correct. I would say currently you're seeing <laughs> the first American president embraced a fascist dictatorship style of approach of managing freedom of speech and organization. I wouldn't say full-on fascist dictatorship. I would say it's that— It's that approach. It's the approach because he's, again, teetering the line. I think Dan Carlin had a great—he uh, reposted one of his older episodes when Obama— um, I think droned one of those American citizens or a former American citizen or was like lost his citizenship in Yemen mm-hmm. and just exercising that power and just, you know, it's, we're not necessarily seeing that now, but it's just how far, because the executive branch has been gaining power, you know, for the past 40 years in terms of what they can do and how much executive powers they just overwrite and oversign in, of the Congress to say like, this guy's this does is, no problem pushing that the, envelope. This is the closest thing, factually, an executive branch has had powers-wise to a dictatorship. Um, and, and, and the way in which he's using federal police is how he's using them as police. Unmarked police, so, too. So, so there's military and unmarked police, which is only found in what governments? Fascist dictatorships. So, like I said, it may not be a textbook example, but it is out of the playbook. He's stealing pages three, five, and seven, and he's like, <laughs> "I'm gonna use them," and and it's something that's pretty consistent throughout his campaign and his enforcement of his policies. Is it's in line with all of these? The separation of children. What's unbelievable doesn't is happen like, in I most documents. Be- any doc- It's like he doesn't actually believe in that, but the base like to push the base. He so- doesn't believe in anything. So start right there. He believes in nothing. So what does he believe in? Getting what he wants. So when you have a selfish get what I want perspective. Your approach is malleable. It's super flexible. It can change day to day. You have no values. You have no spine. You're a jellyfish. No so this values. jellyfish can do whatever he wants to get what he wants. So once that situation occurs, it's going to fall out. The left and right will make their positions known. Easy. How can I use my leverage to get more of what I want? And if you follow that analysis, every single one of them is the the factual logical next move. So yeah, I, I just don't think the left has been building their case up enough and countering with the correct things to 
What if I told you Donald Trump's more left than Obama? I thought his budget's bigger. Yeah. His spending on every arena is bigger. Well, I just don't think there's that much of a difference. Like you said, when you, we say like, oh, you know, we talked about the farming and the mm-hmm. spending that we do on agriculture and the amount of he socialized agriculture, completely socialized it with the amount of money we've used in these trade wars. That's more left. In ter- yeah, it's more left. But in terms of the difference between the two is like this gray area where Democrats and Republicans exist. It, it, it's still like not that much outside of each realm and each realm. But what if I told you that, and I'll do this for the camera, <laughs> that this is left, this is right, both of them are here, and there's nothing here. On that far right? There's nothing in the middle right. In terms of policy, in terms of... In terms of the way they use policy. Which is more important, in my opinion. How, how the policy is originally formulated, sure. Like, this is more liberal than that, and that's more conservative. Oh, then they once, don't actually exercise then conservative how policy. doesn't exist. No. There is no budgeted. There is no states' rights first. There is no... Oh, they completely um, socialize big business, where big business is able to completely leverage so the government for themselves when they say, hey, government's not good. We want less government, but... Uh, what is his name? Mark Zuckerberg has 20,000 lobbyists working for him around D.C. to make sure policy and the government is leveraged in his favor. What was interesting is they capitalized regulation, socialized recovery. Does that make sense? Repeat that. So they capitalized regulation, which is supposed to be a check on capital capitalism. It's true, yeah. And then they socialized recovery, which in my opinion is a feature of capitalism. So, for example, when a billion-dollar plane company goes under, instead of bailing them out, let them fail. Now, what happens when a big business fails? Does everybody lose their job? Does this economy disappear? Or does somebody else in the plane sector buy it up for pennies on the dollar and hopefully restructure in a more sustainable, profitable, and if everything, in my opinion, is in the right priorities, the workers are organizing as well to make sure that their new experience is progressive for them as well. Um, and, and when you allow recovery not to be socialized, you force innovation. Oh, no, I could totally agree. I think that's where we are. It's this generational divide and gap we have that we had this success from you know the 1950s and business industry up to, you know, We'll say we'll just say even nine eleven, and you know through society and culture of this um, uptick, um, even though it actually got even more pulled apart in terms of you know the haves and have-nots in our society. But it's like this generational divide, and what they've done to most people, um, you know, economically lean conservative, which is like to say, in which to say is us, and you know, we both get called communists and socialists. Um, oh, that. I'm the biggest. I'm the biggest socialist communist that ever believed in states' rights and strict constitutionalism you ever <laughs> met. I'm the only person who's reading and citing the Constitution, but somehow I'm a liberal. And who grows their own cannabis and grows cannabis. grows my own hemp. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I live closer to George Washington than anybody you know, but somehow I'm a lib. It, it, I don't know. I do have liberal. What I would say is, is I do have liberal uh, people policies. Socialist. I would say even I would just say people because it goes outside of social. It goes to their own um, economic and government rights as human beings, like mm-hmm. how they operate personally. So I would say it's a little more than social. It's not only how I interact with them. Is I want them to have the same rights white males get, and the difference being 
is I actually have a right not to be illegally searched or detained. People love talking about the First Amendment, Second Amendment. How about the Fourth Amendment? There's a bunch more. If so the Fourth Amendment, don't know what the Fourth this, Amendment this is. This right to not be illegally detained. When a cop stops you on the street, ask him, are you detaining me? No? Fuck you. Yeah. They're not allowed to stop you. This is why they fought the American Revolution, because back in those days. And even better, you don't even have to respect them. You could tell them to go fuck you. That's your, your First, First Amendment, Amendment right. right allows you to tell him to go fuck himself. Um, and then, on top of that, let's compare it to where this came from, right? Let's stay strict with it. Mm -hmm. The British could stop you at any time, tell you what to do, and search your things. Well, and go and uh, demand even, quarters, where they could just go and stay in your home and take your home. Hold you for as long as they wanted to. All of these things, which we found to be reprehensible and completely, and we wanted to form a government so that people could not do this to us. And instead, the biggest argument you hear is these people or that person or this group or these individuals shouldn't be doing X, Y, and Z because the police officer said they couldn't. Mm -hmm. That's not the law. That's not the way it works. They don't have a right to show up to places and take control of things. They're not allowed to even enter your private property without certain rights and certain a warrants from a judge um, and, or, or in certain extenuating circumstances. So I think this, this lack of understanding even what we're talking about in 95% of conversations yeah. is, is, is the biggest issue in talking politics because more often times than not, this person doesn't have a, an opinion. They have a prepackaged um, speech presented to them from CNN or Fox News or some guy on Twitter or some dude with a selfie cam on Facebook. And these are progressively worse and worse sources. Um, and even more so, the lack of anybody's willingness to critically think or do some diligence themselves is... Even sounding me talking about it makes me exhausted. Yeah. So it's something that most people don't care to do. Um, well, I think that's that's the biggest thing, uh, the biggest problem that's happened. And, you know, certain facets of our society, that's just where, you know, power has accumulated with a small amount of people. And I think the biggest place is this is politics, where, you know, either the amount of civics that isn't taught or civics that is understood by the general population that, you know, you put so much trust into individuals, but they're human beings and human beings, uh, we know take power and they run with power and they're going to leverage and accumulate resources and money and time for themselves. And we've seen that in politics where, oh, yeah, we represent millions or tens of millions of people. And, you know, they got a little selfish and greedy with their jobs. And we're seeing that politics is not actually representing the grandiose scale of people, whether it's in their district or their cities, their states, or the entire general population. So, you know, it's 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 unfortunate, but sometimes we have to. It's going to go this far back, and I think people are realizing like how big of a trench that people in power have the beachhead that they have to say, "Oh, yeah. you want to change policy? You want to change this? Go ahead, try." What's it's interesting, so hard to do. What's now. interesting, you say this, but I have to say I feel the opposite. In my opinion, it's the American system is so easy. You can now influence millions of people with a single video. We have distributed the ability to influence, one, which is not only done with money anymore, which is very interesting, and two, we've become more accountable than ever. It's very interesting. We grew up with our parents saying our generation was the least accountable. 
That's a track presidents over time, right? Don't get me started on the older but, generation. But, They're but, the worst. But I just wanna I just wanna reflect on they were part of this era and how we've become more accountable with everybody. So it started with technology. When we could record a president, Nixon gets held accountable. All of a sudden... Well, that was the big thing with Kennedy and Nixon, that first televised debate they had. In that election, you see Nixon just sweating buckets and bullets. His tie is too tight. He's losing his mind. And you see Kennedy and you see his charisma and you see his look and his glow. And it just completely helped him make that unbelievable win, which was a massive upset at the time. For sure. And then you go, so let's take it another, let's, let's fast forward a little bit. Computers are invented. We can now access news on a daily basis. We can now not only hear the latest gossip, get it from a decent source, get additional no, details. No, people are not looking at their sources, man. We, but, but we hear both me out, know this. But hear me out. They can, but they aren't. Every president before Bill Clinton probably had an extramarital affair. Most of them probably did so in the White House. Who was the first one held accountable for it? Bill Clinton. Why? Not because he's special. Any president doing these types of activities are going to have that accountability. The internet taught us we can tell about you to everybody in the country in an afternoon. We can make it world news by tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. The TV doesn't even really need to be on because we can publish articles on a website. Change the way we hold people who we can never hold accountable so accountable his personal sexual activity affected his political life let's go a step further let's look at Obama Obama was held so accountable we can find clips of Fox News <laughs> criticizing his use of tan suit ketchup stains tripping my favorite is Glenn Beck saying that there is a Muslim caliphate coming to this country and literally fearing people and I'm like guys so he attempted to hold Obama accountable right how much of a clown he's lost his job his entire career the world held him accountable for this 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 farces these lies this era of accountability is here Rush Limbaugh if he was a new person wouldn't survive this and that's why I think he's dying off so you're starting to see this this high reaction environment what happened on Facebook the other day with 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 the uh, that uh that guy? Yeah. Our guy in Davy. How much accountability was thrown at his doorstep for the first time in his life? So for the first time now, what Trump has done by making so many people angry, and Obama did it first because he angered so many conservatives for their biases and prejudices, in my opinion. But because he was held so accountable for everything he did, Trump, because he is so controversial, we're doing it even harder now mm -hmm. to where you're seeing... The younger generation, especially kids younger than us, holding their parents accountable for everything. they Telling on the creepy uncle. That's me. We're going to catch you, parents. Putting out every person and, and the good and the good minded, the good hearted ones are doing it because they want to hold their parents accountable like their parents held them accountable for their actions and made us, I like to think, as critical thinkers and actually able to search for truth because when you're accountable for being correct, you are going to try to ensure that you're correct. Because if you're then shown to be correct, your efforts are rewarded by recognition and accountability. So accountability becomes a reward instead of damaging. Yeah. Well, I so think the that's more the we can do that. I wrote the blog post on that where it's yeah. just like most of our parents' generation, even if they did go to college or stay college, it wasn't to the, to the you know, 
the extent that we got held accountable for for high school and college. I mean, yeah. even at Pinecrest, I mean, it was like, if you, this is not your original idea to six words of a line, they never actually, you know, yeah. expelled anybody, but it was just like the fear they put in you. And then going to college and having to write a 50-page thesis paper on fascism in Italy in 1918, and it was like, I got to put together 50, 50 pages of my own shit? Yeah. Like, Oh my God! I'm not going to graduate. And a lot of it's got to be cited by reputable sources. Footnotes, who went, cited. Who, I had to get who, like 25 sources who, of who, who, when they check your source and they read that thing you're quoting actually relates. Um, the, but like that's just the most important thing. And like uh, besides civics, you know, people not understanding the actual basis of our country, how it came to be, what makes up you know the things that hold you and guarantee you certain safeties and securities that you know. People just never even had that certain level of, you know, again, what the Internet just say you're doing. I see your point with that. And I totally agree with that. But also that, you know, how our generation is actually so accountable is that we so, were forced to So check this out, though. That. So with this accountability. Remember, 30 percent of Americans, 33 percent, I think, have college degrees. That's that went through the entire process of being held their yeah. feet to the fire. And I think there's so many correl correlations that we can look at that with numbers of, you know, how we people, make less per job, per hour. We, we, we are held more accountable. We get less breaks. Yeah. And what I would say is not only that, but over time, when you can create a culture of accountability, you'll have a higher performance um, innovation area. Um, but what ends up occurring is the more we innovate, the more we hold leaders accountable, and the more convenience we create, the more willing the average individual is okay with losing personal rights is okay with reducing accountability upon themselves is okay with um creating a shadow as as uh, <laughs> as the reese family has taught me much about shadow but effect it's real i i truly believe that this whole you hold people accountable for what you really dislike in yourself the most ends up becoming uh, an easy thing to do and becomes very comfortable because one you get to Judge people for the same things you're doing, but in a way that you can hold them accountable. There's no reverse accountability, so that's very easy and enjoyable. But two, the way we're progressing as a world is the reason why the United States of America has less accountable individuals on average than a place like South America. It's because the, the better off you are and the better off you start, the less accountability you desire. If I can just keep this the same and have no accountability, that'd be great. I have no downside. I don't have to actually produce. I can have no expectation. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because if you follow Buddhism, they talk about eliminating expectation is true happiness. So are we pursuing happiness or productivity? Are we, are we pursuing happiness for the population? Are we per, per, uh, pursuing productivity? Because at some level, well, pursuing productivity. I mean, I, I'm even a victim and guilty of this. Just mm -hmm. escaping feelings and emotions and just life in general by drowning yourself through work and drowning yourself through projects or attempts or even other jobs to make money. And it's just like, well, where is this going? Why is you know where is the desire? I, I think there is a desire that I do enjoy life that much and filling my time up with all these different adventures, activities, and. And that being ways that I actually get to describe who I am and how I get to live life, I'm still lucky and fortunate. But again, that is a perspective and mindset and just years of craziness. But at the same time, I, I think I'm totally caught up in this. There's definitely a superficial way about it because it's like 
you want money, you want, you know, you want clout, you want, you know, a certain influence. level. Influence, you want people to care about what you're doing and saying. Influence, as much as I want to grant influence to others and give them availability and opportunity and, you know, be like a, a beacon to say, hey, we're going to wake up tomorrow and start something. You live in America. You can do it, and it's, yeah. it's really easy to get after it. It's not going to be easy in terms of getting there, but to start, we have the easiest entry to start the most privileged you're to gonna be succeed successful i don't in the know world. <laughs> yeah whether or not you're gonna do it is something and I, what's interesting is a, a lot of the stuff that i've learned is the juxtaposition of of happiness and productivity end up focusing on one thing which is where they join which is if you can remain present and that's it it's hard and that's it because if you can be present what you're doing is productive and if you stay present, you'll stay focused on the most relevant things. And you'll be more willing to be empathetic and understanding. Mm. And you'll be more willing to uh, do what needs to be done because it's the only thing that needs to be done. And realistically, most of your stresses come from things that happened to you before and you're worried about them happening again or they might happen soon. So you're, wor you're thinking about the past or worrying about the future. Which one produces anxiety and which one produces stress? Think of the past is supposed to be stressful and thinking about the future generates anxiety from my understanding now what i would say is is i mean again that's a it's it's, it's, no, a, it's, I, a, it's I, a wide I, range you know filter to put on that but yeah you know. no but i think anxiety is is prefaced in this an anticipation thing which indicates future tense and mm -hmm. i think stress indicates something that's previously happened to you yeah so i think that that's a, a good perspective on it but i would uh i would even move it to far as to say um they're inevitable when doing either. Um, if you are reflecting about how you presently feel about something that's happened previously, you're still doing a present action. Um, however, if you allow previous things to influence your present moment, you're no longer present. Does that make sense? One more time. So if you are reflecting on your past and how that's influencing you currently, you're spending time. So for example, this one... Um, uh, a brain surgeon talks about how the space in your mind is the infinite field. Oh, the one who runs our housing and development projects now? Ben Carson? No, not him. Um, <laughs> although he had a great interview on NPR about how visiting the homeless in L.A. has changed his entire perspective on what we need to do for the homeless. Yeah, I you think guys ever, should check ever, that out because it's a perfect example of somebody who is present and still open-minded enough that when he visited and as a healthcare professional, he had his honest opinion. He said he wants to change the entire Trump administration approach to how they handle this issue. Yeah. So I think it just shows you like even people who may, I may not vibe with or agree on many things – I'm supportive of people who are open-minded and present enough to see things, be empathetic. Have a grain of empathy that they can look at that and say, oh. Well, I dare say, if you hear his interview, he has more than a grain. He's like this as a medical professional. Generally, but yeah. No, no, generally, but generally you'll get a grain. Like, oh, this is an issue we need to look at. But he was more so like, as a medical professional, this isn't, um, this shouldn't happen in America. So he was like, like. Have you made it out there? I mean, I know one of your new so, businesses is out in that area. Yeah, I'm there every day. So yeah, we, for the past like six, seven months, I would say, um, we spend a lot of our lunches in this area, either walking through or driving through. Um, it is amazing. It's just, amazing it's just wild to see how much people are willing um, or uh, willing to subsist and keep going through having very, in my opinion, one of the biggest problems in the country is that the first hill is massive. Most people make it over that hill, um, but the ones that don't, 
we just leave and it's like a tragedy because it is a significant hill and we have the resources to to stop it um but but getting back to the whole present thing um if you're able to 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 not allow your past to influence your present Mm -hmm. and for example let's say you've had a bad interaction with people calling you stupid and you're working and somebody's like, yo, that's really stupid. And you have an, an, an act, a reaction, an emotional reaction. You need to understand that your emotional conditioning is, 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 is playing in your programming and that you're allowing the past to play a program, a programmed response to waste up your bandwidth on a program response from before. Because really, if somebody's like, yo, that's stupid, like, he's not actually calling you stupid. Like, if you were present in the moment, you would you would see that this application, but if it hits on something you've emotionally uh, experienced negatively before, you're allowing the past to influence your present. Now, if I go home and I think about this moment that just happened and how I was emotionally triggered by this comment, and I go, man, I have a problem with people calling me stupid. I'm insecure about being stupid. You know what? When people call me stupid, I'm going to try to laugh about that because I know that it's me being silly. And the next time that and you've, in that present moment, gone into your infinite realm and you've changed programming. This is an active, uh, this is a not a passive activity. This is an active activity. You have to be engaged for this. You have to make this change and you got to live that change. And as you live that change and you stay present in the moment so the next time you're stupid, you're able to, to laugh because you've in, invested emotionally and logically into a new form and the more you repeat that physically in the real world you'll replace that conditioning you've used present you've using a present a, a, a moment of presence for yourself where you actively substituted a conditioned response instead of allowing this past thing to play all the time does that make sense mm-hmm. it's like whenever you yell at somebody on the highway you're, you're triggered by something else like it's not somebody cutting you off on the highway that pisses you off. Especially, I have Christ-like empathy, so it just doesn't happen. Like I can just, oh, that person's going Whether to it stop. be some people I've seen it, like the waiter looks at you <laughs> and walks by you and doesn't bring you the water. Whatever it may be, being ignored might be your trigger. You need to address that emotional conditioning that's made up your personality. Oh, and, you gotta, and people got to be willing to address this. So this personal accountability is usually the biggest obstacle, but the biggest tool that people can use to find presence in their life. Like you will be happier. I can promise you if you can stay present. Why? Because you're going to be absorbing energy that is life. And we love reality. And I dare say, but if you can enjoy reality, is to do so moment by moment. Yeah. I mean, but we're just... You're not programmed to do that. You're not programmed to, and then we're just bombarded. I mean, just look at the room we're sitting in. Look at the lights, the colors, the, you know, microphones. Our attention is supposed to be focused in on one spot. But, I mean, the the detail just in this room is just... How do I stay with it? How do I just stay on one thing? And yeah, you know, we're, we're, we forget how am, how animal we are. Yeah, when we don't look at things like that and realize, like, oh, you know, the dog, you know, comes in the house and it's like, holy shit, smell, smell, look, where, where. So what's where, interesting where, here, here. is they say that that animal instinct is emotional conditioning, and it's built in the strongest conditioning you have, which is survival. Survival conditioning is if something reaches a level of danger that you prioritize as survival, it instantly goes to the top of the warning list. Things that make you pleasure 
don't aren't prioritized. It's not going to kill you. It's not, it's not necessary for evolution. So the highest things of priority are fight or flight risk, survival-like conditioning. And in America, in such a privileged, mostly safe, safe place to live, we have an immense amount of um, unnecessary negative conditioning. I think like porn is like one of the biggest ones because that's like another biological thing we have to go out there and seek you know yeah. partner yeah. to replicate our genes and we are like instead of handling stress in a productive way we do it through a um a very uh oppressive way oh even, yeah. even watching porn is, is is an oppressive thing you're using people's love or faked love to 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 give something for yourself i mean so, think about the amount of advantage you know we got we got louis smalls coming back he's gonna be here on saturday okay uh, i was wondering where that example came from i was like uh, no, well, no, no, i've also um been a part of, of a few petitions and i've been reaching out to the woman putting the petitions together to remove pornhub from the internet and because like a lot of the accessibilities and business we talked about who runs these businesses and who runs these things that should you be removing pornhub from the internet or should you be educating individuals on the, on the difference on the because of the amount of human trafficking and people being taken advantage of in the space and industry, whether those people are youth or they're minors. Okay. And so, so that is the intention of doing that. Step and it's further. not to remove it. It's yeah. to, again, regulate it, regulate a little bit okay. more in terms of we're dealing I, with I, the I minors and youth. I'm not, listen, I'm not against porn. I think you better, you oh, can. I just think it's a free speech thing. It's an amendment thing for me is, is oh, no, how no, no, do you no, no, regulate I that? I would say if statistics show that regulating it would reduce crime, like there's a way to do that. But you have to show that to I, infringe on the First Amendment, I would say. I mean, that's what her research and her books True. and everything. Yeah, about. I don't know. And I think, uh, and again, you know, another a documentary you watch. Have you seen Hot Girls Wanted? No. That will make you second-guess watching porn, like, ever again. Yeah. It is, I think it's made in 2015, or released in 2015. It may have happened a little bit before that. And it's just this one guy who is, you know, not pimp, but you know he's the manager. Yeah, makes those Craigslist posts in Oklahoma or Texas. He's a pimp, and he's putting on there, hey, looking for models X Y Z certain yeah. dollars a week. And these are you know girls who are just getting out of the house, away from their family. That little bit of freedom they have to know, oh, I'm making a grand a week. Yeah, yeah. fuck my parents. Yeah. Fuck Oklahoma. I'm going to go make it. Yeah. And then you get slowly co-oxed into actually this is the scene we want you to do and we're going to pay you this yeah. and we'll give you $2,000 if it came inside of you. And it's just like and you're just watching these girls crumble under this pressure of being in the real world and doing business for the first time. And it's their body and their image. And you know, it's like just it's intense. And of course, yeah. where does it take place? California. Miami, baby. Oh, wow. <laughs> Jeez. And again, no, but, I'm not cheering, but it's like it's, that's what that's it's what, on Netflix. It's a Netflix original. Okay, and I would say that that, that it's it's. This, I'm totally with you on the free speech in terms of yeah. people being adults and being able to be um, representative and to stand educate up. Educate your children about this before they experience sex. Accountability. Parents don't want accountability for sex education. I haven't met any parent, very few, who want the responsibility of educating their children about sex. Who, who want to educate their male youth about the responsibility of being a biologically larger individual, the responsibility of being um, a gentleman. Um, these things are 
they don't want the accountability. And in my opinion, completely. Pa- I mean, parents think about where you learned your sexual enough. education from. Where did you learn your sex ed from? Did you learn it from? Most people learned it online. Online, and their friends. You had an older a friend who had an older older uh, sibling who knew more about things. You hear about curse words, which lean towards some kind of. Um, Sometimes it's like something representative of sex, whether it's the word fuck or, you know, gay or faggot. Like, those are words you learn. You're like, oh, you can't use those. And words. almost every single one of them are derogatory. The, the, the three most you used, derogatory. The three you used. One is used to mean uh, harm, um, even though it means also means sex. And the other, and the other two are both uh, used to be neutral terms and positive terms in the term of gay who have been kind of perverted into... Uh, detrimental uh insults um but but yeah i think all of these topics all go back to this do do individuals in america want to be held accountable for their own actions do they want to be hold their leaders accountable and i think that what we can really in my opinion what i consider to be the highest priority is things like in government things like the most essential parts of our economy like agronomy um, and I think cannabis is going to be bigger than cotton, bigger than tobacco, bigger than alcohol. Mm. So when you're talking about bigger than corn, uh, yeah, of course. There's in, 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 when you, and hemp seed becomes the nutritional thing that it's going to be. Watch, um, it's a better filler than corn nutritionally all day. Um, so I think you're going to see it overtake everything as America's cash crop. You're going to start seeing this um, prioritization of how the essential businesses. For me, the biggest issues, all those what I would say social and private issues are usually ones of uh, intellectual banter and not something you can actually regulate. Yeah. I like looking at the things that are essential businesses, essential to infrastructure, essential to economy, essential to quality of life, and that's usually where the government and big business intersect, and it's usually how we regulate those businesses and then how those businesses can operate in a private arena to where they're adding value that a government never could. And those are the most interesting areas for me. But it's you, what's interesting is the most influential areas like tech, social media, are, because of their private influence, are now the biggest issues in regulation. How do we regulate Facebook? How do we regulate Twitter? How do we regulate the spread of information? How do we regulate new economies um, like cannabis? Like or in factual information. What factual information are you allowed? How about the fact that if you were to take a picture of, of I think it's one in three Donald Trump tweets, post them onto Facebook, they will get taken down, and Facebook will not allow you to post them because they're factually incorrect. And so factually incorrect that you're not allowed to make that representation, but the President of the United States is because it's an official transpondence from our government. What is the difference between that being an infringement on his First Amendment rights of free speech and this being a you private company, have, they can do whatever the fuck so they So let's want. talk about First Amendment rights. They teach us in law school. Where is it public or private speech? What type of public or private speech is it? So, for example, we've got, um, in this case, Facebook and Twitter are private entities. So you are going to a private venue. It's like if you... The Miami Dolphins, instead of Facebook, you had to go to the stadium and talk to people and post things up on the wall. That's what Facebook is. It's a physical location. It is. That's what people don't get. It's a physical location in the world of law. So in this physical location... Like the only difference between that and a virtual world is like you're not entering in it, but you're viewing it. No, you're entering. Actually, if, you're in, if you're on it with well, an account, if, if you're if we in were it. In a, a, uh, 
what's it called a uh, augmented or virtual world but i mean once it's there it's going to be look like that where you're like so, oh let so me look at these posts on these exa- walls in this example pretend this that's the way course, it is of course of course of course be- because legally it is yeah, right I'm excited for that, that so world. so legally you live in facebook because you have an account there your person is there 24 7 people can contact that person they can bother that person they can mm-hmm. poke that person that is an they augmented mess- reality version of you exactly so this is a place in this private place the company who owns this private place has the right to create guidelines and user agreements that will limit your activity however they seem fit. The Constitution does not apply to private areas. Is it the first or second amendment where they say, like, no business will enforce religious or certain things? I don't know if that's the first or second bill of right right Oh, now. you're allowed to do whatever you want. No, in terms of, like, government cannot... Impose upon that. Um, separation, separation of church and state. I'd have to do a little more research because that's what that's touching on more. But we're totally not doing separation of church. And I don't state. think that's a constitutional amendment. I think that's a, a policy. Bill of rights. I don't think it's in the Bill of Rights either. I forgot what the exact. I don't think it's an enumerated thing. Is what I'm saying is there's a lot of research and when they were drafting a lot of documents mm-hmm. that they had support for this idea, but it was never enumerated. And I and I could be mistaken. I, I look at um, the language of it because I'm not doing a good job explaining the exact yeah. language. I'm no, saying. I know what you're talking about too. I'm just not educated enough on this particular yeah. topic. Um, but jumping back, where were we? We're going on. You're in this virtual world, and like so, you know, you're publishing. You're in a have, private the place. Can't say like, hey. So you where does it. your First Amendment right kick in? It kicks in in all public places, and in certain public places, it's even more protected, like public forums, like in front of the town hall, like in front of the court. Um, these places are extremely protected, sacred places. Of so, so when the police come and they try stopping your protest. And in front of these extremely protected public spaces, this is an invasion of the First Amendment right. Taking down your post from a private entity is like if you walked into Dolphin Stadium and put up a poster and they said, nah, this is coming down. Why? Because we don't want you to have it up. They can take it down for any reason. Now, let's talk about what's interesting about this is when you do this and you start regulating speech. Of course. gets messy. You become liable as an editor. So... That's the thing a lot of people, conservatives, were saying that, hey, if you're going to be doing this, you're... You're an editor. You need to be held liable for everything everybody says. You're going to be held liable for the content of everything. So what Facebook has tried to do is say we're not editors. Everything is automated. That's why everything got up during the last election because they refused to vet anything. So this is free speech Yeah. because they knew if they vetted any... Then it got so bad with the factual Russia disinformation campaign and the amount of fake Facebook accounts, the amount of hacking they did, the amount of misrepresentation they did, the amount of shares and views this misrepresentation got. They were told by Congress that Congress made a law that imposed this upon them. You can restrict private companies' first ability to regulate themselves with a congressionally passed bill that has convinced the population and unless you are impeding upon their freedoms very rarely do these types of laws get struck down when there's fine uh, a need um so right now we're in this very interesting place that we can either hold social media accountable for content and treat them as editors which i believe has to be done they've always been editors how do i know when i start a weed page on your platform you take it down um or if I skew it into some sort of content. Or even people with nudity. People with nudity. All these different lines that aren't clear cut. 
um, end up becoming judgment calls. And if you're making judgment calls, that's a definition of an editor to me. So even though they've tried to mechanize it so it's not uh, editorial, this is where it's ended up. And more so is that we've created a public forum owned by a private company. So this is the interesting conversation is that we've created the most used public forum or private companies. So we either one have to impose First Amendment rights upon them as if they're public entities, which can never happen because of the way we protect private property in the United States. Or we impose legislation that directly attributes a certain usage of communication to qualify as you're an editorial now. You actually control the content because of, remember we had that YouTube conversation, why are they able to prioritize NBC? Because they have editorial content. They can prioritize whatever they want. Their algorithm doesn't have to be fair. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be if they don't want it to be. No, of course. Now they use an legal. algorithm because it allows them to argue they're not editorializing, but they are. They're u- and this is the game, is if you if you take people out of it, it's not subjective editorialism. It's uh, it's fact-based rules from our user agreement. So this is the legal kind of positioning they play. Um, but really what it comes down to is now you're seeing for the first time in history that we're having to regulate private speech um, because it's become a public forum. So I think you're going to see very interesting, um, whether it be uh, rights to the Internet in general. Well, like you're saying, this is like a whole new schism that's happening within the public forum because it's it's privately owned now. The biggest, excuse me, not privately owned, but it, the biggest public forum is in a private space. So now it's just pushing over and they're overlapping and we have to find a way to regulate that. Yeah, Twitter's a perfect example because, for example, if we held Twitter accountable, they would have to delete Trump's tweets. How crazy is that? Official correspondence from the government would have to get deleted because it would violate their rules. But because they're not editorial and he's a government entity, it, it supersedes the rules because they're not editorializing. Does that make sense? So they're avoiding responsibility. responsibility they're and shirking accountability. accountability is what it is. So when big business is shirking accountability for what they're influencing, this is an easy way to tell when you need regulation. Well, it's like the biggest thing with the USDA and like, in like beef and like cattle or just like any of the, the meat processing in general, like for 70 to 80% of that meat that you, that's getting processed, there's a dude right there in a white coat who's looking over that meat process to make sure that they're not putting extra hooves in your ground beef, whatever it may be, anything. in. so like that is where the regulation is good. That is where, because the industry showed and where did it come from? They found six, but they found is that Sinclair. they didn't create this accountability. No, the quality no, would you be disease level. The private, the, the free market will take care of itself, man. It doesn't. I know. <laughs> it doesn't. What it, what it does more times than not is it allows those in power to leverage their power and make more money and accumulate resources. And they're going to do so at the detriment, as, as much of a detriment that doesn't cost them money because when you're taking things away from your costs and usually people, your, your labor costs mm-hmm. – you save money right there. That's found. That's found profits. That's my favorite part about libertarians. Like, okay, yeah, great. We all want freedom and independence, and you know, who's gonna regulate your waterways? Who's gonna make sure the water? Like, regulation is why you have clean water everywhere, other than in in low income areas and minority like areas Michigan. like Flint, Michigan, because and 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 this is because there is an accountability for this on a federal level. Clean water is a federal issue. Um, now. Figuring, Do we federally like make sure that there's something that happens there? We take care of the water? So one of the strongest legislation that Obama passed 
is a bunch of environmental stuff, which it's increased our protection, federal protection of waterways. Has Trump pulled all that back? He's tried every single day since the first day. One of the first things he started on was his tr- his golf courses couldn't use these very harmful pesticides because they um, run off because they run off into yeah. the streams. And he was trying to overthrow that one first. Interestingly enough, how that got to the top of his priority list. Unbelievable. This was one of the first things he attempted to do. That's when he had what's his name, Scott. Uh, who's the guy who ran the EPA? And then after a year, Scott he- Pruitt. I want to say that's his name. Maybe. Yeah, or it's the other guy from, I think, uh, Pennsylvania or Texas. Perry. Oil people. Rick Rick Perry was after, I believe. Yeah. But all these people are in line with that. We all own property that use uh, uh, pesticides because we're not investing in innovative organic regenerative techniques. And we own the companies that sell the pesticides. So we make money off selling the pesticides. And we want to sell them to ourselves. And we get subsidies from the government in order to For do all that. of these different things. So it's, it's something that is a, usually a multi-level problem that goes towards lack of accountability. And usually uh, a maximized leverage that has created an unfairness that isn't able to be overcome. It's, it's too profitable to be overcome. That's the issue. Is why, don't, why aren't shoes made regeneratively? There's a company called Veja, who all of its organic cotton is produced with fair wages in Brazil, and they produce shoes at the same price point as as Nike and everything else, completely sustainably, regeneratively, organically. Why doesn't Nike do it? Because it's too profitable to change. Nike would lose a shit ton of profits to change. So accountability, zero. Because they launch a regenerative product once a month. That's what I love about that MJ meme, and they're perfect there. Fuck them kids. Fuck them kids. <laughs> and, and this is called greenwashing, to where you create enough green in your space so that accountability for actually being progressive is non-existent, and you get the upside of looking like regenerative or sustainable. Um, this is the problem is, oh, hopefully, the trend of increasing accountability solves the problem of greenwashing solves the problem of fake involvement um fake support yeah um for progressive innovation for whether it be individual human rights or whether it be um economic development in new arenas well that allows me to jump back into the the federal prohibition against cannabis still because federally it's illegal Mm -hmm. and i even think right there a lot of people don't know where that came from came from 1971 nixon's uh drug laws and uh drug uh i forgot what which um drug law bill is called but anyways classified drugs yeah we started classifying the drugs and you know a lot of people who are at protesting and as a way to crack down on different um groups that he wanted to target and he used that you know who did that recently uh trump's been using dea surveillance planes to crack down on protesters by the way dude the amount of just another example I've seen so many small single propeller planes in the past, like three or four weeks. They did a great report on it's the federal There's government. A Buzzfeed article, I think, that you guys yeah. shared. Yeah, the DEA is now, or Trump has pushed the DEA to start using different um, surveillance techniques surveillance, on civilians whether without it's warrants. Whether cell phone, whether it's airplanes, they're looking at everything now. So, and smile able, for them. Yeah, <laughs> and, and they're able to do it because of the Patriot Act, which was. Which was which was invoked a week after 9/11 and never not renewed, um, which decreased our Fourth Amendment rights. Combined with, he's now trying to get Antifa. Antifa is not an organization. There is no organizational group. The problem with this 
is that when you label, if Antifa ever gets labeled a terrorist organization, anybody in a terrorist organization in the United States of America has no constitutional rights under the Patriot Act. If Antifa, an organization that isn't organized, can get qualified as such, anybody can be part of Antifa according to the person accusing you. So if Trump wants to call you like that 75-year-old guy, why did he call that guy an Antifa guy? Because he wants to be able to start labeling people Antifa and they have no rights. We can get warrants. We can tap their phones. We can do all these things legally. They're trying to take away your rights using uh, lies because anti people who think of themselves of Antifa have done crimes and committed crimes and perpetuated crime. Fact, fact, fact. You cannot create legal government... Um, police enforcement um, based on ideals and who you decide fits under those ideals um, versus the KKK isn't a terrorist organization yet it is an organized group of individuals they're not deemed a terrorist organization nope and he wants to put Antifa over the KKK yep they have an organization they have a leader they have decades history of violence of violence Credited to their organization. Differences here, right? Antifa does not have an organizational group. federally held office. They literally still to this day regularly run for offices. Well, they've held office. They've exposed like, people who are actually clan I'm members. I'm saying people who openly are clan members running for office in local governments throughout the country. This is currently happening yeah. in places. So it's something that, that one, um, where it should be used isn't being used. Um, and, and they say... Because of the danger of people getting – citizens being labeled as terrorists as part of the KKK. So because it will be so easy to take away people's rights, we won't do it with the KKK. The president wants to do it with Antifa, which, like I said, factually is not an organization, does not have a leader, and does not have members. And therefore is impossible to decide who is part of Antifa unless the person identifies themselves as Antifa. But that's not the definition the government uses. Mm -hmm. The government uses is if you're considered to be part of Antifa. And I wrote my law school graduation paper on the way that we take away terrorist rights in Guantanamo Guantanamo Bay. Um, And how, for example... Two British individuals were in Afghanistan researching their family history, got scooped up on a bus that had 20 Taliban on it. They were held in Guantanamo Bay for two years before they saw a lawyer. There's an interesting Radio Lab one. Um, um, what was the kid's name? Um, anyway, the guy at Radio Lab had the same name as him, and he followed his story as he was this peaceful kid from Libya. Somehow, when he moved to Sudan in the late, 90, uh, late 90s, he happened to be handling Osama bin Laden's entire watermelon field, which he had 60 or 50 acres and was working directly for Osama bin Laden. Yeah. And so he's managing this land, and somehow he had ended up in Afghanistan. Yeah. Years in Guantanamo Bay after he was captured, they said he was actually a general for the Taliban and running all this stuff. And they did this whole big six-part series on it. Again, Radiolab crushes and he, was, and he was a watermelon farmer. Well, that's the thing. After, in the Obama administration, they were releasing people from Guantanamo, yeah. he he had his papers, the, you know, their actual chief of staffs, but people with that kind of chief of staff clearance who manage who's going to be able to let go and get out yeah. of Guantanamo, they interviewed him, his lawyer's there, he passes the test, you're going to be released, Trump campaign happens, and they cut it off, and he's stuck there still. That's wild. To this day. It's wild, and, and because he's not a citizen. And so that those people get screwed the worst. 
Um, and they're worried that these extremely inhumane practices. The judge, by the way, the Supreme Court, you know what their final ruling was? Two years is too long. That's it. People who can stay in Guantanamo? For less than two years. You can do that. If you're, they're not a citizen, and circumstances make it seem he's a terrorist, you're allowed to hold them for two years without seeing a judge. Now, for American citizens, if they don't let you see a judge in 48 hours, they have to let you go free. And yeah. they cannot charge you with that crime unless additional evidence is provided. That's good to know. So if they don't let you out in 48 hours, you're good. They have to, they have to let you see a judge. Mm -hmm. So I said, wow. And my, my paper was about how in Israel, right, more terrorist attacks than anywhere else in the year, every year. Really? Um, attempts. attempts. They get a shit ton of attempts. Yeah. Um, closest proximity to a organized armed enemy trying to perpetuate these attacks more deaths per person related to terrorism than any other country in the world like based on how many people die relative to their population they have more uh, respective laws of their the uh, terrorists they capture you have to see a lawyer within two weeks yeah the, the, so this is in a place where are more oppressive to who they consider military combatants, higher need, higher danger, two years versus two weeks. And what people are underestimating here, they're trying to apply this to American citizens so that they can do this to you, and they can call you Antifa, and then they can hold you for two years. That would be the legal ramifications. That's a factual legal assessment. How do I know? That's how I graduated law school. They wouldn't have let me out. If the 40-page paper with citations that I wrote on this topic didn't get okayed and approved, then I got, I think I could be, it was one of the higher grades I got. Um, frankly, just because I think the topic is shockingly straightforward, um, that we have this history of all this government history that even non-citizens should get these rights, but the Patriot Act gives us an exemption yeah. where, where, oh, well, uh, in this case, terrorists are so bad so mean and so dangerous we should treat them like non-humans so in the case of let's say you know the federal drug bill that we did that and like actually we exported our drug our drug uh, drug laws around the world so i think it's like almost 100 countries in the world like if we were to legalize weed federally that would impact like a hundred other countries in terms of how they write and how we've exported and made deals around the world yes and no what a lot of people don't realize is most deals when something invalidates them can be rewritten exactly the same minus a sentence or two. Mm. That would happen really quickly. A lot of those countries are not going to change. How, how close are we federally then to getting something like that? Next dropped? administration. Trump would veto it. I think he said that. I thought he said he's been no. something he's been considering. No. He does that when election time comes. But yeah. if you hit him on any other time, no. No. He even thought about rolling. He tried to roll back. So the Has Biden said he would? Uh, uh -huh, yeah. Um, so, but he says? Yeah. Joseph? Yeah. Wow. So and Joseph. What's, and, and, and what's interesting... Sleepy. Yeah, right? Um, <laughs> but what's interesting is, so under Obama, because states started legalizing, he had the Justice Department put out a memo. This, this is a, a famous memo. Where they were going to hinder the amount of arrests the DEA could actually go into. We will not, no longer pursue any charges against licensed state operators. 
basically saying you guys can do this. It is federally uh, sanctioned. Because I think early in the Obama administration, there were just raids going on. Well, they, they could were... because legally they were operating. But there were a lot happening. This is like even before during Bush, like where California yeah. was legalized. But like, when did it get legalized officially? Was it 215 prop? Yeah, so I think the original medical was 96. 96, but when were people like doing dispensaries? And it didn't pass legally until recently, Prop 64, correct? Recreational? So that's recreational. Yeah, yeah. California was the first medical, but not the first recreational. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what's interesting is Trump reversed that. He wanted them to start pursuing them, but they won't. Um, so it's very, like I said, he, he's attempting to overturn lots of things, um, use the just, so that illegal police force was Justice Department police, which has never been, nobody's ever tried to do that before. He's even getting creative with the ways that he's implementing um, dictatorships. Keep going. So, but basically what I would say is, is uh, interesting enough um, with this topic, with all these other topics, we're at these points where we talked about how the the rich can influence so much. Do you know how much Mike Bloomberg spent on trying to be the Democratic nominee? Six hundred billion. Was it six hundred billion? No. About- six hundred million. It was between him and Tom Steyer okay. that they both spent over, over a billion, billion. one point two or one point three billion. So we could have housed the homeless, Medicare for all. Um, took where federal so, student loans was three hundred billion, I think, to to abolish or you know. Yeah, three hundred million, I think. So so we could have done all these million, things. Excuse me, I'm going in the billions. Yeah, right. Too time. many zeros. So, but but what I would say is the way we're spending money it's, is, is is under your theory, he should have been the Democratic nominee. He outspent everybody by ten x. That's how uninfluential money is, because you did the same thing you criticize others about, and you underestimated the ability of the average American to sniff bullshit mm-hmm. and to uh, assess authenticity and value, um, and even with. $600 million thrown at it to confuse and disguise you that there's value to be had. Nobody believed it. $600 million. Imagine. So... Million to marketers so, and, and copywriters. And what's interesting is you go look at somebody like Bernie who's done it with so little amount of money and because of his issues have a lot of truth to them. Biden is a combination of Elizabeth Warren, Bernie's issues, and Obama's. He's kind of completely against Elizabeth Warren's entire ethos of the, the crime bill the bank bill that he approved like helped. but go look at his latest platform rollouts he's stealing language he's stealing policy from all these people so oh. he may have positioned himself as a central version of these people but the policy in most cases is pretty similar oh yeah i mean that's the interesting thing as much as trump did that with the thing but he, like you know with the policy of the republican party never actually believed in them but said Oh, yeah, I don't want to do this. Hey, immigration closing the borders? Yeah, I'm for that. I'll build a wall. Like, that, those messages, like, yeah. in terms of populism, like, just fucking hit the home. Yeah. And just hit home so hard that people are like, oh, wow, he's been saying this that I want a Republican to say forever. He's got my vote. I don't care. And I don't think those people would change. I think that no. the Trump supporter is a, still a Trump supporter. The 30, 35% of, like, people, I think it is, like, that it's perma-vote Trump no matter what. Look. If, in my opinion, or do you think it's less? Uh, whatever it is, it's more. What really important is what percentage of the voting population are they, um, and that's the real thing because they will vote again. So, but to me, it's something that the people who do care, like if you do care about the fact that a deadlier virus under Obama had twelve thousand deaths, and a less deadly virus under Trump. Has over a hundred thousand. We're referring to the H one N one here. Correct. Okay. If you care that eight people died in Puerto Rico 
when the hurricane came through, but 2,000 died afterwards due to the response by the lack of a response by FEMA. If you care that over 3,000 kids at this, to, at this time have been orphaned due to a child separation policy versus zero kids orphaned under the previous administrations, all of them, um, these are factual differences that if you don't care about... You're not going to be convinced otherwise. There isn't an issue that will stand out to you. Um, and, and it comes back to this whole, are you willing to be accountable? And if you're not, don't waste your time on these people. These individuals will pay the price of not holding themselves accountable because they'll lie to themselves the same way they lie to everybody else. Um, and, and, and allow them to fall short on their own where you can maximize your potential by combining your efforts and getting the neutral ones, the unmotivated ones, to 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 want to support something, some some change, and in this case, it's it's Biden, mm-hmm. back to a certain level of productivity. Well, I think like the defund the police one's interesting because like you know, all people are doing is saying, why is this much money going here? And as taxpayers and people who pay into the system, yeah, you are supposed to say and you are to go to those town hall and city hall meetings which is it's been great people like actually phoning in on zoom they've been hilarious yeah but like i'm so glad that accountability is on the up that people are on the up like listen you know what the new york city police department budget is it's in the billions no six billion dollars that's insane well again i think that the police and there's been a lot of great reports on there i've been reading this book to you know uh, and the police, whatever the name is, but you know, he's been working with police departments everywhere. And, you know, the problem is with all the f- scrapping of all these social projects we've worked on, everything's been put on to police officers in order to take care of so many things. Listen, factually, for somebody getting paid $35,000 a year, they have some of the most responsibility of anybody in this. Oh, them and nurses and teachers. To take care, just to take care of homelessness and mentally, um, and people with mental disorders like that. That's, it's, it's the hardest job ever. And yet it's one of your two responsibilities. For me, I was, I was having this conversation with my aunt's a police officer, and I said, police brutality is horrific. Black Lives Matter and every single person you know should feel the same way. The police should feel the same way. Good police should be holding shit police accountable. Even more so, if you did, you would see people willing to support the issues you also have. Interesting concept. Show some empathy for people being oppressed or affected by the people on your side, and in this case, the police versus minorities in this conversation. Mm -hmm. You show them some empathy and hold yourself, the police, accountable for the things they're doing. Then you can expect the opposing party, and in this case, these are minorities affected by police, to show you the same empathy and be willing to say, you know what? Your job sucks. It's really hard. In a lot of cases, you are the ones on the shit end of the interaction stick. Why don't we invest in you as well? Why don't we pay you more, have accountability and financial oversight in your spending so that when you do fucked up shit, we hold you accountable. The police officer loses his job. That police officer goes to jail. Well, the big one is always like we should be paying people more money. We pay teachers or made it. And again, just because we're going to be paying them more money or police officers more money, it really just means there's going to be a lot more hoops you're going to have to jump through. 
in order to do these. But that's stu- good. I, I think it's great. Like, again, like these people, are the things that attract. But that's what the that's higher what talent. conservatives have done such a well job of is to say, like, listen, we can't spend any more on this, or else we can't do this. Where are we going to get this money? But we know the money is there. When the Federal Reserve it's, Chairman comes out and says we have the ability to inject unlimited liquidity. Well, well, so, uh, I, I, that's a bad excuse because, it, in my opinion, that's that's bad money. But what I would that's say bad is bad money because that's it's creating more debt. Inflation. But, but what we could do is disarm the militarized police. Well, I mean, get I, them I, down to regular weaponry. I imagine right? our eight hundred billion dollar defense bill that we spend in this country a year. That's separate from policing. So we have we that have, doesn't doesn't get passed down. No, no, no. Fed, ah, this is a big difference. You can't. Why is Trump so a fascist dictator? Because you're using federal military money to police states. Policing is a states' rights issue. You should never be allowed to use anything federal money to police in a state ever. Period. It's a state right. You should not, and that's why he left. He, the National Guard had to leave states where governors said leave, because you don't have a right to be there. It, it's con- our constitution is not made that way. So it, it comes back to we are only constitutionally allowed to police with federal money. So the state money. But needs- he's looking out for us, man. Well, he, he talks for us, Trump. So you can have federal funding, and let's say he really wanted to do I'm this, just right? Caution you, man. Don't, I'm don't saying buy it. If he, if I wish I could, that's why I tell people is I don't care who is president. Agreed. Make me buy it. Agreed. You came with some plan. You came with some ideas. Implement them. What factual, quantitative results have you provided? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's what Americans keep forgetting. Pretend you're the consumer. Pretend you need to be sold on a bill of goods that someone on a policy is going to come case, in and the bill demand of goods, more. And you want to hear something interesting, Negotiations. Right? Some hot facts. How many people, how many cops do you think died last year due to felonious conduct? So somebody killed them committing a crime guess in the whole country 50 states 700 700 i thought thousands because i saw i think it was 1300 or 1700 people a year are killed by police well that's like the biggest thing that cops worry about it's like my life's in danger right my life's in danger when i'm going what if i told you it was 57 a year 57 one officer in every state is killed it's more dangerous to interact with police than to be police. Well, here's the counter argument is that people would say that because black people are more likely to commit crimes, that police see them as a certain way, that they're more inclined to do criminal activity statistically. And I think I don't think that you can think in that exact grain of moment so to this, say more dangerous person. This is subjective that's, bias. That's more ingrained as a professional. Yeah. Your job is to elevate your in. conduct. That's no, right. I hear you. Yeah. I, that's that's the and and, and that's let's, the counter. Let's say just a sociological aspect. Let's say it's not black, Spanish, white. Let's say it's just when they're in low economic areas or low revenue areas, you have individuals who are more willing to commit a crime when they're making less money. They're more willing to commit a crime. They're more willing to be violent, um, especially now when they go into these low income areas and they have this subjective bias, you're paid by the government. You're a servant of the people. You're a professional that has to be held to professional levels of conduct. And my counterexample is in the military, you have rules of engagement. In Afghanistan, what the police do to American citizens would give you more, the military would hold you more responsible for this abuses than we hold our police. This is an issue when our police are held less accountable than our military is in, in, in war. It's funny, I heard this same exact story from Andrew Scholes. 
um, recently where he's like talking with someone who was in the military. It was a Marine. Yeah. And they went over there to Iraq. And they once, have to do policing missions. Once after we, you know, secured what we thought We're we had police. the country, we became police. That's and so they, they had to do the same regulations of protecting and winning over the hearts of people, treating them as civilians. But what's wild. But I'm saying, so he's like, cops here, you shouldn't have that hard of a job. It, it, and what's interesting is but again, the, it, I, I, the, the and it, it happened right. So but, but I hate the National Guard so was out that that us versus them mentality, and they're they're us. They're they're regular middle class, lower middle class individuals. Like, but a lot of, it, in my opinion, is you have a inferior level of professional compared to other professions. No, of course we talk about salaries and pays. Bringing in attractive talent to holding them accountable, but to do that, you can't. Have them get paid nothing and hold them. It's it's the public teacher issue. Agreed, agreed. You can't you can't make public teachers have higher standards than charter and private schools, but pay them less. It's this whole thing where you have higher expectations and accountability, but you get paid less. And you got to deal with all the people, all the students who don't want to be dealt with by the private and charter schools. So you you get what you get, like police. We don't pay you enough, and you're not performing. Now the difference here being is. Police have taken a step further and they have these qualified immunities like qualified immunity that allows them to operate super constitutionally, in my opinion. And this is an issue because it goes back to my conservative beliefs that a strict constitutionalist reading is almost every one of these interactions you see on the television to be drastic violations. Yeah. Um, the national, you don't, there's, I haven't seen a single video. I've seen. Well, even like, uh, like there's another video I saw, you know, black guy just going to and from work and he stopped. Because he's going 60 and a 65, and the guy is like, well, why are you stopping? Why are you detaining me? It's like, that is just, that, that cop should be fired. He doesn't you should, know You should have to write a ticket and let him go. It, but now, no, they're allowed to by law. So they've been given these additional. Oh, really? Yeah. So when you're in a car, in most states, I believe this is case law, federal case law, that because he's dangerous in a car, a vehicle, it's inherently dangerous and inherently mobile, the police officer is allowed to remove you from the vehicle. That's why the police officers always do this. They're given this. Take that away from them. They do not need this. 50 a year are dying. They're not in danger. I know because almost every issue in America has wow. more than 50 people a year die. Almost every issue you white care about. White on white about, crime, white on black, black on every black. Issue. Every issue. And they're not government employees held to a professional standard. So, like I said, when we go to this whole how are these guys conducting themselves and accountability, there's over 400 videos Different different incidents of police abusing protesters. There isn't a single one of the National Guard doing so or any military doing so when they were used. You know why? Because they're held to, a, to constitutional standards. And when they are held to those constitutional standards, where did the violence go? They're held accountable because if they go beat on somebody, you don't go to regular court. You go to military court where your rights to defend yourself are lower than a citizen. Mm -hmm. um, Go watch A Few Good Men. Instead of higher than a citizen like police. So I tell people, I'm not even asking you to take them and court-martial them, which is what we would do if we really wanted full accountability. All you police can be military. You guys want to act like this and be held accountable like military. You want your big military guns? You want your tanks? We'll hold you accountable like that. Um, now, I don't think that's the answer. I think the answer is invest in your police, invest in your teachers, invest in your health care, so that the average, and that, that doesn't mean socialize everybody in the country. That means make sure that they're above average pay. These should be desirable jobs. So 
very talented. Especially because they have such a positive benefit on the community and the culture. The best police officers are some of the most influential people People, in the public sector in the world, in the country. How many lives do teachers touch? How many people, kids do they have come in there? So right now we have our teachers. healthcare professionals, teachers, uh, nurses, nurses especially, teachers and police officers. Teachers are fucking and touching the kids. Police officers are killing the people. We got we got to fix the industry. So, and it comes into you can only have regulation and oversight with investment. That's how you handle how you regulate behavior. Mm-hmm. This is how you elevate and innovate. Mm-hmm. All can be done through investment, but oversight and investment, which is like I said, where I fall on the liberal side. I fall liberal on necessary, what I call human rights issues, education, health, um, policing, when it goes into um, what I would call human pleasure issues, personal life, private life, strict constitutionalist. And in my opinion, to support a strict constitutionalist perspective, we've been shown to see that a liberal approach to human needs is actually the best way to do that. when we invest in our schools, like LeBron James did, he took a low-income area and turned it into one of the most successful academic schools in his area um, because he personally invested. I think the government should be making similar type of investments into low-income schools and things like that. Completely. Now, during this whole COVID, the lockdown stuff, I've gone crazy gardener. I've started building my own shit. I got, yeah. my, got my own weed plants. I got some seeds sent to me from some Jamoke online. Don't to find out. They're like all males. I think I've saved about half. They're looking great. They're strong. They're healthy. I uh, credit, you know, all that success to you and my sister, you know, for helping me and tutoring me under the tutelage of Private Stock Veganics. I've been able to. Oh, now new consulting firm, Private Stock Solutions, which we'll spend the last of the interview talking about. But That's right. But definitely, I appreciate the the shout out because, uh, I, like I said, that that's where I have my most fun is uh, is getting individuals like yourself to be present in an activity like gardening which gives you so much empathy for something that is less than you are. Oh, especially I'm such a I'm such a hard ass on any sports field or performance field and now I'm dealing with something. It'd be like and again I, I do have a lot of good experience working with children in basketball, so I can have that patience level, but you're dealing with something that is sentient. You can't communicate back and forth to it. And but it's you not can commu- competitive. It is not competitive. There's no hoop to score. There's no game to win. They're working together. You got worms in the soil, you're, and you, you got to be worried about that. We had the wind the other night. We had like 40 mile per hour winds out here. Yeah. I had to bring everything inside. Certain yeah. sunflowers, you know, got damaged and hit because it got knocked over. But it's like you know, to be like, like I said, just a whole different experience. I've always been interested in, you know, when when I you know come into the money of having my own land, having chickens. Yeah. Um, and self-reliance, just cer- very the, conservative perspective. There's certain self-reliance, and it totally is a conservative idea. But I also just think, you know, what I've learned to come over the years is, you know, experiencing, you know, going and getting your own food, you know, looking at things more than just styrofoam and saran wrap. And Convenience. Like, like, this is what you know is a burger. Versus accountability. You know broccoli because it's got a rubber band wrapped around it, yeah. and it's dumped off somewhere. You don't know what it takes to go into that. And, you know, one of the big things about travel, you know, is we have no we we lack so much empathy here in the U.S. Yeah. So you know I think you know you promoting your own you know course on how to grow and how to grow you know really successful cannabis from you know your home is is just something we talked about this too is citizens having the availability and the accessibility to even exercise that. Yeah. Such a, such a base right. 
Yeah, I think I, I think these types of things that one, um, the decent the, the ability to decentralize this expensive information. You know, I charge like two hundred dollars an hour for consulting if you want me one on one. So the project we're working on to create a video series so that people can affordably access that information, I think, is extremely vital. I I, I think that uh, everybody's going to enjoy that video series. That'll be very detailed and. Uh, very uh, small bites of video, so we you gotta, can go we step gotta wrap that up. We gotta put that. We gotta put that series together. Yeah, We're working on the series. I, I think that uh, like like uh, you're like you get to experience one on one and people who pay for that service. Um, to be able to have somebody who has spent a lot of due diligence, a lot of research, um, and a lot of application of this research um, into bite sized information that can take you down this ten year path I've gone on in three months and get to skip over the 110 times that we you messed fuck up. up the seeds or creating a clone or, or whatever it may be yeah. the 101 ways that you can mess up or the 101 ways that you can overlook understanding mm -hmm. the present moment that plant has put you in um, we've had so many iterations um, over 10 years you get five crop cycles a year so I tell people uh, over 10 years I've seen 50 lifetimes of cannabis um, it's weird because when you study people you only get to view one lifetime because you die. Yeah. It's like how people um, study germs and diseases. And that's they go why they start there. 500 times. You learn so much more about... The generations and life cycles. You can, you, you can learn about the basics of biology. And the more complex the organism becomes, the longer the lifespan goes. And the less truth you can find out because you can't iterate a test enough times over lifetimes. So this becomes why I think agriculture is so interesting is we can teach very complex concepts. We get five chances a year to teach them and individuals can take these concepts and apply them outward to more complex systems and even things unrelated to gardening. Um, you start really understanding the way water, light and energy move through living things and how that manifests matter. Um, I tell people it starts as intro to gardening and it ends in quantum physics. Yeah. So it's something that really can lead you. And I'm an individual that started with an English degree and a law degree. And I understand, in my opinion, PhD level agronomy and at least master's level of quantum physics. So it's something that if Whoa. You, uh, I, I've talked to a lot of physicists with a master's level degree. Doesn't matter. And I believe conversations, a conversation. We talked about this. Got to hold you accountable. Can no, you, I put it. I put it into can work. Can you be put into the so, scientific yeah. method and scientific theories and pass and execute on the test? By, we'll have to see. I'm by twenty twenty one, we plan on having peer peer pub, peer uh, peer reviewed published studies. No, no, I'm not saying your studies or your theories. No, in I'm general. just saying the I'm application of them. Well, you're saying you have a master's type degree. No, I'm saying I have a level of understanding that would rival somebody who, instead of doing it themselves, purely studied. I'm going to so, have you talk to the quantum mechanic. I would love to talk to him because I think he would admit that there's two things, in my opinion. There's theoretical understanding and there's application understanding, reality. And the difference between me and most individuals who study the things that I study is I know how they apply to reality. So how are these very complex concepts, which most people just learn about theoretically and statistically, how they theoretically play out in a scenario, I can take this knowledge and apply it to you who don't need to understand any of the concepts, but you'll be applying quantum physics concepts that a master's level would understand. You're going to be applying them in something that now to me, in my opinion, mm -hmm. this level of understanding is way beyond a master's level because people who have a master's level degree have never applied it. 
More times than not. Most, yeah. So well, especially when your whole, your whole like not the, like purpose in it is to constantly try and prove things that either aren't real. Well, that's theoretical quantum things. That's that's a whole other realm of bullshit. Yeah. In right, my we opinion. won't even go there. We'll stick but to the I'm course. Just, I'm just yeah. I'm saying so. How what our course is in my opinion? It is taking and interpreting quantum state and the quantum physics of a growing environment and putting it into bite-sized, two-minute instructional videos that anybody who knows nothing about plants, soil, water, light, will not only learn about the world around them, but will be able to successfully harvest cannabis. Um, to try and explain it properly, it's like you have to remove uncertainty yeah. from your equation. And trying to do that in because the quantum level is like a whole different level. Of it's more granular. More, when we look at things, it's like hard to take that uncertainty that seems what quantum computers and stuff can predict and do it's like oh it's not just a 50 50 and a coin toss or like a one or two it's 97 percent they can actually predict so what's interesting is 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 when you put hard numbers on it in my opinion they become less valuable what really when you're doing in my opinion a good understanding of energy quantum physics really what it means is is when we were in newtonian physics yeah um, we measured mass, we measured weight, velocity, we measured volume, we measured all physical um, uh, interactions, right? Once we add energy states to this awareness, you have quantum. Why? Because an energy state is different on every molecule. It is changing throughout every second. You're and, and when you get this granular, gra granular of data, of information, it can make you more unsure. Of course. So it, it ends up becoming your ability to take very complex things, complex data sets, position them in the correct perspective so that you can create a simple, easy-to-use solution. All right. So we're putting a cap on this course. This course is going to be coming out. We're going to do August 31st, the latest. Mm -hmm. Hopefully by August 1st, we're going to finish and wrap this up. Let's do so it. It's ready for the people. And... I think we're going to wrap up the show because my bladder is about to explode. What, I, how long did we run? We're going for about like two hours and ten minutes right now. Oh, man. How long are we gone? We're streaming for 2.16. I want to know how many people stayed with us. Oh, I can go look at that data right there. We can oh, I'm about out. to hold you all accountable. So um, before we wrap up, let people know, you know, how they can connect with you, how they can get a course. And um, maybe even let them know some places where they can study and learn about this stuff, some places, research that, you know, helped you before we yeah, put it. Yeah, yeah. So let's go with um, general knowledge. Download the NPR One app. It's been statistically reviewed, NPR, to be one of the most credible news sources. Mm -hmm. And they bring on other third-party content as well. Get educated on your day-to-day. -day. I listen to it every single day. I'm that much of a nerd. Um, next, I would say listen to the Brandon Reese podcast. And we're still going. <laughs> Some people it. stay. That's so <laughs> Oh, he's saying he's been here the whole time. My guy. Yo, shout out to B-Boy. Shout out to B-Boy. Um, stayed for the whole interview. Um, <laughs> I would say that um, as far as the agricultural content, um, check out uh, our Instagram page, at Private Stock Veganics. Um, stay tuned for our video series coming out. I'll even do a, a little shout out to where I learned a lot of this stuff that I implement. Um, Advancing Eco Agriculture has a YouTube channel by John Kempf. It has incredible information on it. Um, really, in my opinion, the best way to start is to start doing. Um, as you do, you're going to run into a bunch of things you have questions on. Do, learning how to do that due diligence is a big part of it. So check us out at Private Stock Veganics. Bang. The original page. Check us out. Reach out. Private Stock Veganics. 
uh, veganics at gmail.com. That's the camera. Not the <laughs> I know. I keep looking at the computer. Um, private stock solutions at gmail.com for any inquiries related to um, consulting. Um, especially, we've been getting into lots of remote consulting for hemp projects. We've been able to set up people with um, tested, certified hemp clones um, that have been tested weekly so that you don't hit your THC threshold, that 0.3%, accidentally. Um, We've also started doing in-house photography and in-house graphic design. We're working with a really talented graphic designer and the uber-talented photographer at Sparked Interest Photography. Um, so we've been doing some business consulting, um, agreement consulting, um, branding, and photography for different cannabis and even outside of cannabis businesses. We're actually even doing some marketing and branding for uh, a couple online shops and things. So our uh, consulting services are really starting to expand. So don't hesitate to reach out. We love working with intelligent people who like <laughs> pushing accountability. And if nothing else, are trying to innovate in an area of art or technology, especially related to agriculture. Dude, we're just two Davy kids that made it out west. We're here in California, pandemic, markets crashing, and we're podcasting, man. And we, I'll tell you what, I think we both I think we both found industries that continue to uh, elevate the United States, whether it be through art and media or whether it be agriculture and technology that have elevated the social and I would say even um, economic status of our country. And I really enjoy being a part of it. Massively. And uh, thank you for coming on. We uh, thank you for having the me. longest time run shows, but we got a lot to say. We got a lot to go over, um, but we're going to sign off. Thank you, everybody tuning in. B-Boy, we know you're still watching. Thank you. Um, and everybody else who tuned in, make sure you go and hit subscribe, like the show. It's the way that algorithm wants you to click on it. I hate plugging that shit and doing that because if you want to listen, you want to learn, there's something here and informative from the guests I bring on, the places I go, the people I visit, the things I go out and do. It's to bring back some crazy cool little thing about life, reality that exists, especially here in the U.S. So get the hell out there. Go out and do some stuff. Massive shout out to our sponsor, Ambry Gardens. Providing you with all these different CBD products. If you use promo code Bush Driver, you get 15% discount. It supports this show. It's how we keep on bringing these guests. I go out and edit and shoot and do all this on my own. I need a producer. I know I'm running around here, setting and tearing things down. Um, so go out there and support this stuff. I love this stuff. The muscle, the muscle recovery, the deep rub has been great. I'm going crazy and on the workouts so i highly recommend you guys getting that stuff if you're an athlete you need to recover we talked about this on the show taking those cannabinoids and putting them on the skin doesn't need to be processed through the liver or the kidneys most times you're going to get direct response and direct action from the topical ointment <coughs> and again that's from a bus driver and yeah thanks so much for tuning in get the hell out of here and get on the bus peace Yeah, but on my way home, yeah. This is the moment uh, for those who...